Um, okay, there we go. Um, okay. Do we know everybody here? I know you don't want to make everyone introduced. Do we know everybody? You can make everyone introduce themselves as long as I don't. It's fine. Okay. I don't think I know everybody. I know a lot of you, but not, not everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Jonathan Ziering. Um, I was in SBM for four summers. Um, a while ago already, um, you know, <laughs> um, um, yeah, now I live in Efrat, um, with my, with my wife, Ara. also went to SBM for two years, my five kids, um, and I'm Aram at Migdala Terra in Modien. Um, so who do we have here? Who do you have, who do you have with you there? I can't hear you. You're muted. <laughs> Tani Gringert and uh, Jacob Klein are actually physically present mm -hmm. in the room. Okay, they passed by before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so well, whoever wants to introduce themselves, they can. But uh, okay, so um, I've been uh, besides for today's shear, I've been listening to to shear, so I have a little bit of idea of what you guys have done. Um, so. Uh, um, but here's what I want to do. Um, you know, as, as you guys know, you've been uh, trying to construct um, halacha in an area that really doesn't yet exist um, in terms of privacy law uh, and the like. Um, so I want to deal with a, a related topic, also one which, um, as far as I can tell, no one has addressed um, directly. Um, this, I originally developed this as part of a series I was writing for Halacha in the, in, and social media. Um, but this particular topic um, was in response to an actual Halacha question uh, that I got. And it will uh, we'll touch on definitely some of the issues you're talking about. Some of the issues you know, we can go through more quickly. Those that you don't, we will spend more time on and, uh, and we'll, 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 we'll go from there. Um, so the, the question I I, that was posed to me was as follows. I have a, uh, a, a close friend who works for a, um, since, yeah, I, I don't know how much, how many details he wants, but I'll, so I'll, I'll leave out some of the identifying details, but a very, a, a close friend who works for um, a technology company. Um, and at some point, what happened was that um, it turned out that one of the countries in which they were operating um, has very different privacy laws from the Western countries that they were used to dealing with. Um, not America, not England, um, not Canada. Um, and they discovered the following. It wasn't him who discovered it, it was someone else in the company um, who ended up um, being asked to be removed from the project because of the ethical concerns, which tipped off my friend that maybe there was a halachic or ethical issue um, for him as well, to continue working on this uh, particular project. And it went like this. Um, in this country, there is a um, one of these me you know, mega all-inclusive uh, apps that can run everything, um, like you have in China. Um, this was not China, but um, China has similar um, apps. 
um, from which you can do everything you can do, your banking and you can do um, your organizing and your so social networking uh, and the like. Um, however, because the privacy laws are so loose in that country, um, the result of the information, once you've downloaded that app, which you basically need to live your life, um, you essentially, when you check the box that says, I agree to give up, you know, whatever, um, the data is fed into the system. Um, there are no human beings involved, but it's fed into an algorithm. Um, and the data that can then be accessed isn't just that which is used on the app, but basically everything on your phone, your texts and WhatsApps, um, your emails, your um, including your salary, your salary, um, your spending will be recorded on that. Everything will be recorded uh, on that. And there was talk in this country that the information used, again, would never be seen by human beings but it would be fed into the system, fed into an algorithm. Um, and then that information that was processed could be used by um, the example he gave me um, was banks. That banks could figure out based on your salary, based on your spending habits, um, right? Basically a super credit score, right? Not just you know, how good you have been at, uh, at paying back loans and, and whatever is included in, uh, in, in America. But basically, it would figure out, like, how much of a salary do you make? Um, what, how much of a spender are you, are you? you know, how many presents do you buy for people? Right? How impulsive a buyer? All that information would be plugged into the system. And when the banks would want to give you a loan, they would put in whatever, right? They would put in your uh, your social security number, essentially, and it would pop out an answer of whether the algorithm decided that you were worthy of a of a loan, um, and things of that sort. Um, and his the question was, well, right, the, the reason that the person resigned um, was because ethically they were not comfortable with this at all. But the the question that my friend posed to me was, okay. What language does halacha have for this? Because so much of the halacha that we have that deal with privacy and lashon hara and all these related categories, um, they always assume an audience, right? They assume that you are bad mouthing them to somebody or you're breaching confidentiality to somebody. Right here, no one knows. Right, the bank doesn't know why your loan was rejected. There is no information that is actually fed to the bank. All they know is that when you come to the bank and they plug in your numbers, this system that's taken all of your information and created a profile for you has told them that they should probably not lend you money based on the the parameters that they set. But none of the actual information has ever been shared with anybody. Anybody, the results, right, of the conglomerate of facts about you with the parameters set by the bank, tell the bank that they shouldn't lend you money. Um, but nobody knows why. No person knows that you're a spendthrift. No person knows what you spend your money on. No person knows how little money you make. No person knows how responsible are you. No one actually knows why. 
right? They have no idea. There is no human being with which this with whom this information is being shared. But nevertheless, the sharing of your information and the collection of in your information has real life consequences for you. So he asked me, does halacha have anything to say? And if so, what about this case? This was the shaila he posed to me. And as far as I can tell, this is a very, very common issue, um, but one that Postkim have not dealt with, right? He turned to me and, you know, I was, you know, I, I didn't really know what to tell him. I was like, look, I, I will look around. I don't think I'm going to find anything. Um, right, Clapper has, you know, my file of the related topics I did. You know, there's 145 pages of what I wrote about it, but I did not find anyone who explicitly uh, dealt with it. There were really two parts to the Shaila. Um, one of them, if we don't get to, that's totally fine. I gave you my summary of it. Um, and that's the question of um, whether when you check the box that says my information will be shared, um, is it now on you? Regardless of whether everything we develop now is that there's an actual problem when you don't give permission to share that information, just checking the box change something, um, which is a very interesting different Shaila, which is what is the halachic implications of of accepting something that you can't possibly really understand and no one really understands, um, which gets into in, in issues of umdina um, and uh, and dvarim shibaleiv and contract law and uh, is also very unclear. Um, so if we have time, we'll get to it. If we don't have time, I gave you my sources. You can read it. If you disagree with me, great. Whatever, let me know. Um, but I want to deal with the fundamental question, okay? What language do we even have to deal with uh, to deal with this? Okay. Now, before I throw it out to you, right? I, I want to just sort of highlight the problem here, right? If we take, let's say, Lush and Hara as an example, okay, we'll come back to really explore. But let's say we take Lush and Hara as an example. Is this potentially Lush and Hara? So, you know, if you want to start with Lush and Hara, so, okay, let's say you start with the with the Chavetz Chaim, just for uh, for the sake of uh, of convenience, um, regardless of, and you know, this was my first year in SBM where we really did Hilchos Lush and Hara. That was. A while ago, 2008, nine, nine. I don't know. <laughs> End of my first year in YU. So eight, nine, so nine. Yeah. Right. That, that was, was the last, is that the last time you published a book on what we wrote? Uh, it's the last time that we published a physical thing with a binding. Okay. I have a bunch of copies. I don't know how I got so many copies, but I have a bunch. <laughs> Um, whatever year probably you came. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's say Lashon Hara, right? Chavetz Chaim is like, right? I know you did Benny Brown's piece. Chavetz Chaim is the, right? He takes Lashon Hara. He turns it from Musser into law. Take away whatever you want to understand the Chavetz Chaim. Fine. Chavetz Chaim is the biggest machmir in the world on Lashon Hara. And I have extensively written why I don't necessarily agree with all of his conclusions. Um, um, I also don't think he's the consensus on a lot of important conclusions. I think we're going to talk about that next topic. You wanted me to talk a little bit about Toelet. I can talk about why I don't think uh, he's the consensus on Toelet and also why Toelet is different in the context of Lashon Hara as in privacy. The Rajba explicitly addresses that topic as does some Karelitz and um, in modern period. 
Um, but we'll we'll have to bracket that, I guess, for next week. But the Chavetz Chaim, right? He's so machmir. He would the Chavetz Chaim look at this and say, find a way for it to be lashon hara. Now he might, but I'll be honest that for all of the Chavetz Chaim vehemence about lashon hara, if you open up Sefer Chavetz Chaim or or Shmir Um, you will see that it's not at all obvious that that's true and. Let me show you why, right? If you uh, do, you want me to share on the screen, or you you have it yourself, which is which is easier. I can do both. I, anybody, unless anybody says they need anything, you can assume that they have it. Um, okay, so okay, so if you look at the Chavetz Chaim, right? Let's let's look at source two here. Let's look at at Shmir Halasha. Okay, this is where he's not even acting, just in his halachic. Right? He's explicitly acting with his. With his, yeah. do people want me to share it on the screen? I'll send it to you. Okay, I mean, look, I can, I can, I can share. It's fine. I can share also. Um, okay, right. Let's look. Even at the Chavetz Chaim acting in his Musser, right? In his right, he's not even. He's not even claiming just to do halacha. He's giving you his full, right? His full Musser shmuz about lashon hara. Right? This is like domat to shmir al lashon. It says in Mishlei, Shomer Pivolushano, Shomer Mitzarot Nafsha. Ula Havin Anyan Masha Paradakatu Shmerada Pevolushan Luminiatsara Man Effet. Right? What we learn from here is that you should um, guard your tongue to prevent pain to your soul. You tear me calling and him, I share Sarich Adam Hashalem, the Shmor Mechaya, more than anything else that a perfected person has to protect themselves from in this life. I'm a first Yapshat. Begam Anyan Ed, Halki Asher Hanani Hashem, etc. So the next paragraph, he says, Why is this? Why is speech what we have to be so careful of? Right? Every human being has 248 limbs and 365 sinews, spiritual limbs and sinews and whatever. And their physical physical body is somehow superimposed on their spiritual body. Commotion MR or Basar Tapishenu Vats Uvatsmot Vigidim Dahani. Arage is Kirakadu or Uvasar Vigidim Vatsmot Beloko Rak Bishem Levush Uschach commotion MR eight. Okay, the body is a is a, just the clothing of the soul that me he'll be shimlola nefesh. What is the body clothing if not the soul? Asher bikurboshi etzem hadam, which is the essence of man. Well, kol iver ve iver shal nefesh milu bashmil mala iver agufam mechunek keneged iverahu. And each parallel spiritual limb is on top of the physical. The physical limb is on top of the spiritual limb. Kemo abeged al haguf, or the spiritual limb is on the physical limb. Uchenegged zen natan lano kadosh baruch hu ramach. Mitzvah say parallel to that, you have the 248 positive commandments. Vishasa lotase, and the 365 prohibitions. And each of those is parallel to the body. There's some that are parallel to the hand and some on the leg, and etc. When you keep a mitzvah, with whatever part of your body, or Hashem the spirit of God, the light of God, whatever will descend on that limb, or and that light will bring that limb back to life. 
Bechain kol mitzvah mitzvah, etc. And so, so is true with every mitzvah. And it goes on. Next paragraph. And therefore, you know how important it is that everyone in his life keeps his 613 mitzvot, etc. Because they continue to give sustenance, give life to his, his spiritual body. Okay, you read the Chavetz Chaim, right? Lashon Hara isn't just a sin. It like messes with the cosmos and it messes with your spiritual essence and it messes with everything, right? That's how we start Sefer Chavetz Chaim also, right? right? What's another reason for the terrible nature of Lashon Hara? Because when you blemish your mouth with forbidden speech, you, you prevent later Torah and Tefillah and other holy words. You, you somehow trap them in this world. I don't know what any of that means. Honestly, I have no idea what it means. But here's what I do know. You read the Chavetz Chaim. He clearly hates Lashon Hara. He thinks that Lashon Hara and other verbal sins mess with the very fabric of creation, of spiritual reality, what have you. Except all of that assumes a person who is speaking Lashon Hara. I don't think that's true. I think you're setting up a false binary. I think that what you're setting up is that um, there are two ways. We can, we can say it's about all bits of an Adam is that there are two parts to it. There's the harm it does to the person who is doing the Avera and the harm it does to the other person. Someone who views Lashon Hara, like the Chafetz Chaim does, as being mostly inwardly focused, being focused on the harm it does to the person doing the Avera, is going to be more machmed in a lot of the particulars, but in our particular case might be more mekel. Someone who views the mitzvah as mostly being about the harm it does to the other person might be more mekel in most areas of Lashon Hara, because most of the time you can say the harm is mitigated or it's worth it or something, but in our case it would be more machmed, it still does harm to the other person. So just because the Chafetz Chaim is often machmed, I don't think you can set him up as an extreme and saying we're more machmed in the Chafetz Chaim. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So you who just says I'm being unfair. But my point is not to make a claim yet. My claim is to point out that mm -hmm. if you were going to look at Lashon Hara, right, if you are the average person looking at Hilchot Lashon Hara, where they're starting with Zefer Chavetz Chaim, okay, which is indeed very machmir, mm -hmm. right, on many things, right? If you read it, the impression you would get, you're right, he's inwardly focused, right? Sure. But you would suddenly at least have to ask the question, well, okay, but what happens when that's gone? The results of Lashon Hara happen, but the act of Lashon Hara doesn't, right? Now, Yehuda can say, well, wait a second. Maybe you can conceptualize Lashon Hara in a different way, such that it's not about the act, it's about the result. That might be true. And if Lashon Hara is the category you want to go to, right, to explain whether halacha has any language to deal with this, then you're right. One of the ways you're going to do that is the way Yehuda's doing it, which is to say, it's not about the speech ethics, it's not about what you say, right? it's about what you do, right? That's true. But you now need to substantiate that Lashon Hara can accept that particular manifestation, well, right? Remember, remember, right, oh. that in the end of the day, Right in the end of the day, 
right? Right? What do Chazal say? Right? Chazal say, how do they describe Lashon Hara? Right? Lashon Hara kills three people, right? He kills the speaker, the listener, and the person about whom, right? The information is said, right? Even if I just took that agotic statement, right? In this particular case, there is no speaker, right? Not clear there is someone listening either, mm-hmm. right? Because you're assuming that the listener is, right, the person who, because of information, is now hurting somebody else. But that's not clear here because he doesn't get the information. He only gets a result that emerges from the information, Still. right? Of the three, one of them is not here. One of them is arguable, and one of them definitely gets hurt, right? Is that, that enough for a formal statement that this is a country? To, every, to a thousand people, we can also conceptualize the same problem. We always have an automated system. We can always cut out the automated system and just say that, no, it's not that there's no speaker. It's that the person writing the software is now the biggest Baal Lashankara in the universe. And he just said Lashankara about an entire country's worth of people to thousands and thousands of other people who now know not to. Oh, them. that's a huge Kiddush, and you'd have to substantiate that claim, right? He didn't do anything. That's just you're just setting up the burden of proof. I don't see any evidence of that. You can say, no, 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 no. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If there's no and Hara going on, right, then what did he do? Right? I'm saying he wasn't. People, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, thousand bankers that a million people. Ah, 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 ah. He is not, right? He doesn't know the information. Again, you're jumping to categories. This is my point, right? Yehuda, this is exactly the problem, right? Is that you are jumping the gun. You need, in order to figure this out, you need to come back to basics and figure out, does halach have language? You're assuming it has a language, right? And in order to assume you have a language, you're in your head already saying, well, okay, there's a whole model of Lashonara that clearly doesn't work here. Let me just negate that it's clearly wrong or insufficient or incomplete, right? Oh, and right, you're making a few assumptions what Lashonara is such that you're assuming that it's here. And then you're jumping to the very, very questionable conclusion, very, that <laughs> even if the transfer collection of this data was not formally wrong, right? At that moment, the person who set it in motion is somehow responsible, but you need to substantiate that first, right? This? Meaning you can't jump and say, he's the Baal Lashonara until you, Explain how this is Lashonara. Right? You can't jump to that. It's if, like, what category does he have? Listen, Iver, maybe. I don't know. Would you right? feel if he went to <clears throat> every single person's house and gave them a form, which they filled out, and at the end they had to self identify whether they can get the loan or not based on the outcome of the form? And then he put, gave that outcome to the banker. Like, let, let's take out the electricity and the programming and all that. Let's say we do this all manually with paper. We give everyone a yeah. form. They have to fill it out. And we trust them to be honest. I'll say something penalty of perjury. You have to read it, say which is true about yourself and all these things. And at the end of the form, you have to check a box to say, am I eligible for this loan? I'm not eligible for this loan. And all you give is a little check box at the bottom to the banker. But hey, let's take out all the software and all the that kind of stuff. Would you feel that's the same case as that case? Oh, it's not the same case. And why is that? No. That's what I'm asking. Is it the same case? And what is that? I, okay, this is my problem. I haven't made a claim yet. My point is, right, see, you're, you're doing something very dangerous here, right? My claim is that applying classic halachic categories is not obvious, right? Your claim is it is obvious, right? I have a much lower bar here than you do, right? Meaning I can say this is plausible, right? 
But my, my, my point, you Yuda, is that it's intuitive, right? Is that there's, there's good reason. Look, if you told the average person, Yuda, let's put it very simply. You told the average posek, let's, right? Your assumption is that the Chavetz Chaim, as Machinaris is, in this case, would not count as Lashonara. You think that's plausible, okay? For devil's advocate, let's assume you think that's plausible, okay? Fine. Now you go to the standard posek and you say, is something that I'm convinced the Chavetz Chaim would not think is Lashon Hara. Is that Lashon Hara? I think the average posek would say either no or probably not, or the burden of proof is on you, right? What you've done is said, well, Chavetz Chaim is a model. He's Machmir, but in this case, that happens to be but we'll go with the other models and it'll be fine. That's very good. That's not going to convince people unless you can ground that, right? So this is, right? You, you have to at least acknowledge that what's being asked is new. Now, it could be that the, that the categories we already have will work. It's also possible they will not, right? You need to be prepared for that, right? Okay. So what models do we have? So. Do you want to start with Lashon Hara or do you want to start with other models and come back to Lashon Hara? Should we just, since we're already talking about Lashon Hara, should we start with it? Is it plausibly Lashon Hara? Yeah, okay, we'll continue. So, what do we think? Let's, let's, let's be clear. What are, what are the moves we'd have to make in order to define this as Lashon Hara? Okay? So, we've already said that if Lashon Hara is about the speaker corrupting his whatever, his speech, his tongue, right? It is not obvious that Lashon Hara is a good category here because there is no speaker. Now, even if you want to pull Yehuda's move, well, the person who collected it, ah, when he collected it, it also collected... I could easily negate that. First of all, it also collects neutral information, right? Second of all, right? Maybe he didn't know, right? Maybe no one really processed what was going to happen. I don't know, right? Come up with what you want. Um, but it's definitely not obvious that from the vantage point of speech ethics or speech halacha or anything where the focus is actually on there being a speaker, right? It is far from obvious that... Um, this could be Lashon Hara because there is no human being who is corrupting their speech, not by collecting information, not by conveying information. They are using information, but I mean, from the vantage point of the teller in the bank, right? Meaning, is this much different um, from a speech ethic perspective than rejecting someone's loan because of a credit score? Right. Meaning he doesn't really know why he's rejecting it. Right. It could just be for the exact same right for the same reasons that any other bank because of public information. It could be not. He doesn't even know. Right. That the better you are deciding whether to reject it or not, the worse it is for them, because the more accurately it reflects that they, in fact, are poor. If we assume it's a bad thing about somebody. But in fact, aren't either are poor or are bad with money. And the more accurate you get, the more lush and hard it will be. Whereas if it's mostly random, if it was completely random, it wouldn't be bad at all. You're just saying the coin landed on the wrong side. Yeah, but again, that's, but, but, 
See, but see, you're but you're struggling here to fit it into a speech ethic category. I don't think it's going to work, right? I honestly don't think it's going to work because what's going on? Meaning, there it's not a look. All you know here, I'll complicate it. Let's say, right? Let's say your bank, right? The bank you work for, some people they reject because I don't know, right? Look, let's say the bank sometimes it'll reject it because the person has a low credit store or whatever based on their algorithm. And sometimes the bank, I don't know, the bank has a limit of how much money it uh, it lends out in a particular day. That's just its arbitrary rule, right? So the person who's rejecting the loan has literally no idea whether the algorithm told him to reject the loan because this person has some lack or because the bank has just reached his maximum for the day and the guy could come back tomorrow. He doesn't even know, right? Okay, now we have removed any sort of accepting of information, right? There is information going, there's information damaging, but no human being at any point in the process knows it, okay? Now I've come up with a theoretical. Now what do you want to do with it, right? Right, not, it's not so easy. So what, what are the moves you need to make? If you want to think in terms of Lush and Hara, what are the moves you need to make? I, I think you're going to fail in the speech ethic. And if you don't fail in this case, I can find you a case in which you'll fail. I think. I, I have a, if you actually want you to do a response, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> get back. I, I did you. Apparently, you're part of the chair now. Good. So, Yehuda, Yehuda, if you want to do it, so you already said it, right? What's the first move you could make if you wanted to include in Lush and Hurt? So I think that excluding it is a move. I think it's a general policy. It's not about Russian power in this case at all. I just think automation doesn't make a difference. And you just look at the automated. I don't think there's any autonomous AI. And in general automation, we just cut the automation out of the process and look who set the automation in place. Maybe you'll say it's not the writer of the software. It's the person who implemented the software. It's the government that made the rule implement the software. But we'll just trace it back to whatever the nearest human is and assign the actions to them. Why does that make any sense? Because otherwise, I can say that um, I used my drone to kill you with the, the gun mounted on the drone. Obviously, I didn't murder. That's a, that's a ridiculous position. If I'm holding a remote control and I use it to... Ah, I see. So you're telling me... So so let me give you a theoretical. Um, I set my timer to turn on my air conditioning on Shabbat. Yeah. Ah, I obviously turned on my air conditioning yeah, on did. Shabbat. Yeah, you did it before Shabbat. I turned yes, on but it's mutter. Because that's not how things work. Just because you programmed it in halacha doesn't always mean it's you, right? right. Ramosha was rejected. And even Ramosha accepted it for certain things, for lights and food and whatever, right? We don't actually think that way. You can set a timer to- I think, I, I think it is a sign to the person. You did turn it on. You turned it on at Friday at noon when it's supposed to turn on air conditioners. I think it's a temporally different, not, not personally different. I think you did turn on the air conditioner. You just turned it off on Friday. Yeah, but Halacha says no, because Halacha says that the reason that it's mutter is because we paskin against Beit Shammai. We don't paskin that Shvitat Kalim is a problem, right. right? That we don't need our things, right? The Kalim did it on Friday. You did it on, you, you did it on Friday. The Kalim did it on Shabbos. I'm going to send all. Yeah, but that's not clear, right? That you comes do down that. to whether you accept no. that in Muke Yosef, Ron, that Ron in Shabbos about Halachas Neros or not. And so we can go either way. I think so maybe yes, maybe no. The side of increasing automation, we can't just say automatic things happen automatically or the whole society, all the level will break down. Because everything can be attributed that way to some someone. Uh -huh. And that's why, yes, but you see, 
you, you, you're jumping again. Are you doing the same thing? Which is, it can't be that this is our result, and therefore halacha can't say it. You haven't substantiated that claim. You just asserted it. That doesn't work, right? You need to explain why that's true. And simply saying that to reductio ad absurdum, it might work if everyone shares your intuition. If they don't, then you have no evidence, right? You're making an assertion, not an argument. Right, you're saying it can't be like letting people deny getting denied bank loans instead, like who's who's, who's, who's who's talking? I just certain point. Okay, I set it up so it automatically kills people. The score is below a certain point. Uh, no, okay, um. Right. Um, and and I have no involvement with who gets killed and <laughs> no human is ever involved in the process of deciding who kills that person. Have I done something that is not governed by halakhic yeah. ethics at all? Ah, so those are two different. Right. So you're, you're, you're using very careful language there. If I done something which is not governed by halakhic ethics. OK, let me ask a different question. Have you murdered? Uh, clearly, I have not murdered them, I think. <laughs> yeah, thank, that's probably true. Right. The Gemara. Look. The Gemara in Sanhedrin makes it pretty clear that the halachic definition of murder that actually counts as murder, right, requires intent for a specific person, right? But the Gemara ends up concluding that even if I intended, right, the Gemara's final line there is what happens if I intended to kill that person? I just thought that person was Shimon and it was Ruvain, right? Even that may be limited for murder, right? It's not right, obviously, right? So, but there's are different questions, right? This is also more complicated. I could say that no, I intend to kill if it was low credit score. Just like if I, I they all sure, should. But, but yeah, you, you, you're missing my point. My point is that in halal, not true, right? It's just not true that you can say that automation equals action because I can give you many different cases where that's clearly untrue in halacha, right? Clearly untrue, right? At least in the full ex- to the full extent of the law, right? What, forget wh- whether that be programming something for Shabbos, whether that be doing something with Grama on Shabbos, right? Where clearly you are the cause, you're just removed, right? Which, according to Rashi, only means there's a time delay, sure. right? If there's a time delay, it's already not you, but, right? Or not you, yeah, the Arisa, right? Maybe right? right? And, and then we can eliminate all the Shabbos cases. I'm not sure Shabbos is going to be good. Well, you could do it in Shabbos, except I just told you that by murder, we say the same thing. Maybe. I haven't convinced me by murder yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just told you what daft to look up. I, 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 don't, I, like, I understand. Like, like, because you're intending to kill someone else. It's a theologically different thing. You have a different intent. Okay. Right? So how many... So, okay. So what about Shemitah? Right? What, what if in Shemitah, I set my water... My, I set my, my timer to water my plants that it's going to go the whole year, right? Is that us, sir? The answer is? Okay, so how many examples in halacha do we need to go through before, you, before I convince you that this just this assumption that we can reduce it as if there, again, you can't just assert things that aren't true. It doesn't work. If has started, you set your timer to water your plants for the rest of the Shemitah year, you think you're still positive? Would you like to see what people suggest you do in order to make it mutter to water? Would you like to see? That's exactly <laughs> what they And again, my, my, I don't think we should look at it now. I think we should continue with this year. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so if we want to do, so let's say we wanted to do, so, again, now 
you know, I, I look, I, I feel comfortable playing with your head here a little bit just because, you know, you're, you know, you were with me back in those days and at least some of those years in SBM. Um, but, <laughs> but 10 years ago, you know, um, or is in the background over here. Um, so the, but my point is not that it can't be Lashonara. My point is that you, what we're faced with here is um, a case in which the particulars are different enough from the classic scenarios that in obvious application from classic law to the modern instantiation of that law requires explanation. And you can have Yehuda's intuition, which is, this is wrong. Halacha must say something about it. If it doesn't, Halacha will collapse because, or become irrelevant, right? And there, but not everybody will agree to that, right? I, I, I see Ronnie Clapper is not in the camera, right? But I'm, I'm assuming you have already told them the story this year of, right, the person who called you a heretic for claiming that halacha is supposed to work in the real world. Uh, not this year. Nope. You, you can tell it if you want to. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, you can tell it, but my point is that not everyone shares your assumption, Yuda, right? Right? Some people are totally fine with saying, you know what, halacha just wasn't constructed for this type of scenario, so it has nothing to say, and that's fine, right? There are people who, who you won't convince simply by saying um, it must be true. So then you've got to figure out, so what do you do? Right. And this is where, you know, this is the same methodological problem you're facing, though it's very related issues, which is the one possible path to take is to say the halachic categories must have room for it. The other is to say they don't. And then either you're fine with that or you need to construct it. Right. Those are your options. Um, okay. But you led seriously, or someone else can pop in, but you has already said some of it. Right. One direction you could take if you wanted to say that this is Lashon Hara is to, as Yehuda said before, um, claim that Lashon Hara isn't about the act of speech. It's about the result. Right. It's just to say this is result oriented. Right. Um, and if it's totally result oriented, so then it's much easier to say it doesn't really matter whether there's a speaker or a listener or whatever. If there are the consequences of shared inf negative information that had they been conveyed by human beings directly, they would be Lashon Hara, since it has the same result, if Lashon Hara is result-oriented, then it is Lashon Hara, right? Or something like that, right? And you could do that, right? You could plausibly, I gave you here in three, you could plausibly look at the Rambam, plausibly, if you wanted to, in number three, and say, over below lo um, right? One who gossips about his friend, violates the Even though you don't get malchut, it's terrible because it causes people to die. Which is why it is juxtaposed to um, the, 
prohibition of standing idly by when your friend's blood is being shed. Say, Ulaman, my ira Adomi. Proof is the story of Doeg Adomi and what happened when Doeg told Shaul that David had been helped by the people in the city of Nov. If you wanted to, you could look at the Rambam and say, and I'm not convinced that the Rambam means this, but you could definitely make a plausible argument for this and say, Lashon Hara is about the result. Look at what he says, right? Lashon Hara is juxtaposed to Lotamad al-Damri Echa, right? Because it can cause damage. Um, proves it from a story in which the result is really, right, what, it, what he wants you to think about. Uh, and therefore, maybe Lashon Hara should properly be thought of not in the category of uh, speech law or speech ethics, but as a more general category of using information to damage people, right? And if that's the case, then we can be much more flexible and say, in this case, negative data was shared. It damaged someone. Lashon Hara has happened, right? Or... If you didn't want to go quite as far as Yehuda, um, you could go slightly less far and uh, use the very nuanced language we had before, which was maybe it's not directly usher, but halacha has something to say about it. Right? Sort of blur the lines there, right? It's close enough to Lashon Hara that it's got to be wrong. It's maybe not Lashon Hara. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not going to take a firm stand on it, but it's clearly... If it's not Lashon Hara, it's not Lashon Hara on a technicality, right? And if you're asking me halachic ethically whether this is what you should do, if you believe that that such a category exists, the answer might be no. Okay? Sure. Um, let me give you a third possible model. And this, I will admit, is mechash, but... Maybe it works. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I I think it's cool, but I'm not sure it works. So you'll tell me. Here's a third one. Okay. Why is Lashon Hara referred to in the Torah? Well, what, what is Lashon Hara referred to in the Torah? Right? The Torah never says, don't speak Lashon Hara. What does it say? Good. What does literally mean? You're translating as a gossip monger. Okay, great. How does Rachel get to mean gossip monger? What do Chazal think? Rachel means monger, no? What? Doesn't Rachel mean monger? Yes, exactly. Rachel means monger. Very good. <laughs> okay, monger. I, I don't know if anyone uses monger outside of the cause of gossip monger, but maybe they do. It's like it's like juxtapose, right? Most people don't use the word juxtapose, but most Jews who are involved in text study know what juxtapose means, right? So we'll also use the word monger. Fine. Uh, so the so Rashi quotes from you. I just gave you Rashi. It's clearer. Um, the Rashi quotes a tradition from from several places in Chazal, as follows. Lo telech rachil. Ani omer, 
Al shame shekol mishalchei midanim u'mesapel lashon hara. All people want to spread strife and speak gossip. Holchim b'batei re'em l'regel. Having trouble? Yes, I've been trouble. Okay, let's hot spot again. Uh, you're frozen. I gotta, I gotta hot spot again. I'm not. I don't know if it's hearing that <laughs> for having a problem. Yeah, friend. Probably continue to. Uh, okay. You can see that. You can see anything. You want to try to get it? A rochel, a rochel, is. You're you're muted. We we lost you right after right after the last time you said the word monger. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so okay, so let's just go two lines from the end of Rashi. Rashi then says, okay, a rochel is someone who goes around collecting information. Like what he says, v'chein rochel hasocheru miragel achar kol schora. A rochel, um also means a merchant who goes around and with his wares. Someone who sells um, perfume or, or um, makeup. So here's a possibility for you. Okay? Chazal's understanding of the etymology of the word rochel is that a person who gossips is treating information as a commodity and is then bringing that commodity from one person to another, right? What we sort of have now is a return to the shot of the metaphor, meaning classically, right? Uh, right? It was only sort of like a, you were selling a commodity and that commodity was data. Um, however, if you think about the problem that we're talking about in terms of sharing data, um, or you think about the problems that have been raised with Google and Facebook and whatever, um, which are similar conceptual problems, there may be no speaker, right? But there is definitely a merchant, a mongerer of gossip, right? A salesman of gossip. There is literally a commodification of damaging information, right? So this may not be classic Lashon Hara, but it actually fits the, the, right, the metaphorical etymology of the term quite nicely. Right, we're literally asking the question: Is the commodification of data in a way that is beneficial to you and damaging to somebody else? Is that problematic? So I would suggest as a model, and I literally have no, I don't know of any way of proving whether this has any value. I I, I have no, I cannot think of another case where I where opposing has tried to do it. Um, but I would suggest that maybe a third model is to say, right, well, let's, right, what did, what was the core of Rechilut, of Lashon Hara for Chazal? Well, it was the commodification and transfer of data, right, of damaging data. 
we now have that without the speech ethics tied in, without any of that stuff, without people, without anything, right? But we undeniably have turned the sale or transfer or commodification of damaging data into a business, right? We literally have a rochel of data. That is actually what we have, right? Not as a mashal, not as a metaphor, very literally, right? Um, right now, this this mashal is developed a little bit more, and I mean, many of them are shim. I gave you just two, two examples. Um, um, let's look at Rav Hirsch for a second. In nine, Rochel who tagar haover mi bayit labayit. Right, a rochel is the person who takes the come. He takes the goods that you need and brings it to your house, right? And then he brings proof for this, and then he says the same is true. Um, here, isur tofze tofeza chavralo mit kamim. People trust each other. And on the basis of that, they speak and they act. And when you transfer that information that was supposed to be kept within your group, and which is the basis of trust in your society, Right, you are, you are a Rachil. So, if you, right, and based on that, what we've learned from Lashonara is that you have to respect someone's privacy. That's what he says, right? And if you speak, you don't know where it's going to go. Right? And it undermines trust, etc., etc. Right? So what does he say? Rechilut is, right? The problem with Rechilut really is the transfer of information outside the circle of trust to a circle where it's damaging, where it undermines trust, which, you know, again, He's talking very philosophically, but somehow through this imagery, he creates a right to privacy, right? And that Lashon Hara is somehow the, right, encapsulation of that because of if you transfer data outside of the circle in which it's supposed to be said, right, say that is somehow, right, that transfer of that commodity somehow is Rechilut. Um, Again, does this have a logic value? I don't know, but I gave you here just like a you know random article from the Guardian, where right you can look up and get any anyone right. But basically, um, this is how people describe what is going on, right? That right they they summarize the problem, right? That we need to understand that data is everywhere and is generated every second of the day. We need to understand data as an asset and turn it into a value, right? This is the description that when people describe the problem, this is the problem that they describe, right? Is the commodification of data, right? That's what it is. 
Um, now, does this have value? Is this Lashon Hara just because it sort of more directly fits the etymological, metaphorical root of Richilut than what we classically think of as Lashon Hara Richilut? I don't know, right? But plausibly it does, right? Plausibly, what you learn from here is that Halacha actually has a category um, which recognizes the potential problem of commodification of information. Now, uh, let me just throw out, and I know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because from what I heard yesterday, right, Clapper dealt with this in Shear. Um, though I will admit that not all the recordings are so clear because, you know, but whatever. When people are talking, it's fine. Um, that's what it should be, right? I, I once had someone email me about a Shear I was giving, and he said, can you ask the people in Shear to stop talking? It's hard to listen to the recording. I'm like, <laughs> listen... I was like, listen, you don't understand. I give the share for the people in front of me. I put it on Yutara as a courtesy. So if someone else wants to listen, I am not going to shut the people up in the share for you. So please keep talking, but it does make it harder to follow, especially in triple speed. I'm sorry, but yellow. Um, but right, Clapper briefly did yesterday, maybe you talked about it more yesterday, talk about the fact that even if not Lush and Hara, there may be parallel categories which recognize the commodification of data and therefore might give us a language for protection of, of information and privacy. Um, so for example, if you look at the Marachash, right? The Marachash here in 11 um, says as follows, right? Talking about reading someone's letter. And revealing their secrets right? in the context of so sharing information. He says, What's the problem? What, what's the basis for Kherim Dun Gershom? Heavy Kishoel, Shalomi Da'at, the heavy Gazlan. Because even if you read the information and give it back, right? You read the letter and give it back, you have borrowed it. Shalomi Da'at, right? And you are a thief. For sure, if it was a sealed letter, right? So the Marachash thinks that is predicated on the notion that one's private information is somehow owned by him and therefore violating that privacy, even if you're going to give it back, Right, is a prohibited use of the commodity of information. Right? Um, and uh, Reb David Lichtenstein, I know he doesn't like being called rabbi, but Reb, fine. I, I can't not give him a title. He's a very serious Talmud Chacham. Very interesting person. Um, but when he summarizes Marchash in his uh, in his headlines, right, um, he knows this, right? He notes this. Another possible basis for such a prohibition is the notion that a person owns his private information. According to many halachic authorities, halacha recognizes the concept of legal ownership over one's intellectual property. Perhaps one is similarly considered the legal owner of his private information. As such, peering into a person's home, viewing medical records, or reading his personal correspondence would be forbidden on the grounds of shoel shalomidat, borrowing someone's property without his permission, which halacha equates with theft. Right, so he says maybe the marachash is correlated to the positions who think that it is forbidden to steal intellectual property because of theft. Right, once you've opened up that can of worms, right, then maybe 
right? You've already said that information is a commodity that can be owned. So why can't my privacy and my private information be a commodity that is owned, leading to the position of, of the Maharchash? Um, and, you know, I because some of these sources are hard to track down, Right, I just gave you my summary of some other, but you find this in the strangers of places of other people who think that information is a commodity and therefore must be respected, not from Lashonara, right? But now from theft or Shol Shol Midat. So for example, the Siach Yitzchak in his commentary on the Siddur on Yom Kippur says Gazalnu, when you say Gazalnu in the Vidui means Chatanu Behezek Ri'iyah. Right, we have damaged people through Hezek Riyah, which I know you've talked about, and we'll come back to. Right, but he categorizes it as theft. Right, he takes that violation of privacy or whatever is going on in Hezek Riyah. We'll come back to it. I know you dealt with it. I know we dealt with this morning, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Right, but he shifts it. He says whatever it is you're not supposed to access in Hezek Riyah transforms it into Gzela, right? Which is interesting, right? How literally does he mean it? I don't know. It's a parish on a sitter on Gaza. I, I have no idea, right? I don't know how literally he means it, right? Um, but he notes that, but um, uh, David Lachensin continues and he notes that some version of this argument was used I think this might be the case you looked at. Did you look at the, the Psakton by, by, by Ruf Sherman? Not yet. Okay. Um, but he invoked this Marachash as part of one of his Psakim. Um, Though, so, so far, what do we have, right? We have one model. Let's, what, what models do we have, right? We said within Lashon Hara, you could go Yehuda's route, though I'm far from convinced, which is basically to say that automation doesn't matter and we just trace it back to its source and ignore the problems with that. Okay, could be. Or you say that Lashon Hara is focused on the results simply directly because Lashon Hara is about damage. And therefore, anytime the conveying of information causes damage, regardless of how that happened, is ostensibly Lashon Hara. Or maybe a third model that I'm suggesting is that you go back to the metaphorical etymology of the work Rachil. You recognize it as a problem of commodification of data in a way that hurts the person who owns that data. And therefore, this becomes Lashon Hara. Now, even if you don't like that, right, if you buy the notion that data, your personal data, is somehow owned, Right, you can get to a very similar result through Gzela, which is what you get from the Marachash. Right. Um, now, this is not Lashon Hara anymore, right? But the same conceptualization of what data could be, right, leads to the possibility that it's Gzela, right? Because it's now misuse of private information which you owned. Um, and as you saw in Reverse, Reverse really just sort of right? Think that you own it, right? right, And you have a right to privacy because of that. Um, Can we interrogate that just a little bit? Okay. How does, right, clap or go. You, you, you want to say something to push back. How does owning it lead to a right to privacy as opposed to a right to property? 
Are those different? Well, he says, you know, he, he says that he, he, when his rhetoric connects it to Kavod. Right? Uh, who's rhetoric? Rehersh's rhetoric. Rehersh's rhetoric. Oh, Rehersh's. Yeah, Rehersh's rhetoric, so he connects, he says, he says you have to be Mizahir, call it down, right? And the and right, he he doesn't get to privacy directly from ownership. He goes from he goes he goes from information to cover to 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 privacy. Does he not? If I read, let's, let's, if you do you have it on screen? Um, doesn't doesn't his rhetoric say that very say that very say that very uh, very clearly in there? Uh, uh, what is it? Right, meaning okay. So right, right. Reverse, right, 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 right one is yeah. right, meaning he does right. He starts with this. With the right, with the commodification imagery, right, right? Um, and then you're right, and then creates more of the question is how are these two related, right? Meaning, are those related in any way? Well, here we go. Right, that's there. You know, if I were doing midrash halacha, I would say, look, it's hekish. Could be. Mm. Okay, look, I'm not mm, I'm not married to it in reverse, but reverse is hard to pin down in these ways, um, especially since we're reading the Hebrew translation of a German. So I really, right, you know, what's lost in nuance? So I won't pin anything on reverse, right? Um, but look, even even from just what Rashi quotes of the of the right the imagery of the Rochel, right, you have enough potentially to suggest that Lashon Hara might, right, be about this damaging commodification of data. Um, right, that has nothing to do with the road, road privacy, it has to deal with my shadow, not your shadow, right? They're related, right, but not directly related. Well, it, it was interesting because when you when you presented Rochel, you actually said it in those terms, right? You said, and out of this, he somehow creates a right to privacy. And right, so... Well, well, that he says, right? Meaning the problem, well, right? Meaning his problem here is that you're giving up, right? That you're telling someone's private information, right? Now, right, that's how he, right? It's it's the privacy for him that is, right, critical. Now that may be grounded in Kavod, right? You might be right, but. So I guess, you know, I mean, if we were doing it, Halakhi could be wondering, like, how seriously does Rehersh take the... I take, have no idea. Take the Rehersh. Yeah, that from. I don't know. I had more fun if we tried to say that uh, the Rehersh has a concept which, you know, which is prior to Hilfah Lashon Hara, but he understands, you know, that his metaphor is Rehilut, but his fundamental understanding is that information about is that part of private, you know, that human beings have a right not to have information about them be known. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, I think I probably said all I can say about it right now. Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, yeah. Um, now, the, uh, I know you, 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 right, Clap, but you are spending, planning on spending a lot of time on the, on the Allah Khutana, right? Uh, no, no, you, you, can, you can do it. I mentioned it offhand. I, I, I saw it on your record. I thought it was important. So do what you want with it. Okay, right. So it is important to note that, right, all of this assumes um, the case in which the information is ever going to be used, right, or spread. 
Um, but um, right within Lashon Hara, there is this position of um, of the Lachaktana that um, Lashon Hara isn't about transferring the information; it's about accessing it. Um, right, and then the short tshuva he writes Sheila Mashna again the Chetov Algavei Algavei Ha'Igeret in Yesh Mamash. Um, right, even without putting a stamp that uh, points towards the Chirimah and Gershom, it's still Asur Umali Lo Telechrachil Lachirim Ola Atzmo, right? Because who cares where you're taking the information to others or to yourself? Um, right, so in the context of Lashnar, it's just important to note that there is this. Um, now, I don't think this actually, right? This doesn't, right? This is a different question, right? Meaning they may be related, but they may not be, um, right? Meaning if, put it this way, if Lashon Hara is primarily about damage, um, it's probably hard to come to the conclusion of Yaakov Chagiz that accessing the information ever using it is a problem, right? That's much easier from a model either of personal ethics, um, if you assume it's not just speech ethics, but I don't know, broad, a broader, something broader than that. Um, or you think that it's about breaching someone's, right, privacy slash accessing their information that they own, right? When you have a model like that, the claim that Lashon Hara is usher, even if you're never going to spread it beyond yourself, becomes more plausible, right? It's very hard if we're focused just on damage because it's hard to figure out what damage is there, right? If, I mean, you, you, you really have to figure out what damage is there, right? Meaning if I don't plan on using it for everything, I'm just, right, is voyeurism by itself, right? Damaging, I mean, it's psychologically damaging maybe if you ever find out about it, but if you never found out that someone was voyeuristically reading your postcards and then giving it to you, right? Um, are you damaged? I mean, that's stretching damage, um, right? It works better from the ethical perspective or from the this notion that you have some sort of right to your privacy and your information. Um, I, I won't go through it all for you, but th this piece by Ryakov Chagiz becomes the basis of a uh, fascinating article, very accessible article by Rabbi Dr. Usher Mayer on cyber spying. Um, do you have this? You have this article, right, Clapper? I saw it in your McCurran. I don't have it yet. No. Okay. Well, it's 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 the link is right here. Um, where he really goes to this question, right? And he thinks he right, he uses the Alakhanot to um among other things to develop some sort of language for cyber spying, right? He doesn't quite right deal with the direct case that we that I that I was. Uh, that was posed, but um, but uh, but this is his case, right? Considering the following scenario, consider the following scenario: um, an individual anonymously posts information that is quite private. He uses fictitious names, carefully omits or alters identifying information. But a skilled cyber detective can use IP lookup, Google Analytics, and other tools. In many cases, in, in, to in many cases, unmask the blogger's identity. Perhaps the same thing can even be achieved by piecing together scattered bits of information by intensive and tenacious use of an ordinary search engine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera gives examples, right? Is this wrong? 
Um, so he says, intuitively, it seems obvious that trying to uncover an anonymous individual's identity would be wrong. Um, to see why, consider the following parallel. Everyone knows that reading someone's diary is an invasion of privacy. But imagine you find an anonymous diary with no identifying information in some public place. You take interest in reading about the private details of, the to of a total stranger. As of now, you have not engaged in any spying since you have no idea who the person is. What happens if you now begin intensive detective work to determine the author? The location of the diary, the handwriting, the style, etc. With concerted effort, a skilled detective could, could discover the author. Discovering the author's identity after reading the diary is hardly different from reading the diary after knowing who the author is. Likewise, disclosing the identity of an honest blogger is like disclosing the author of the diary. But does such detective work constitute a violation of Torah? So he says at first glance, it would seem that there is, in fact, no halachic problem. First, when one engages in such research, he is revealing information only to himself. Right, both Rashi and Rambam, when discussing the Israel of gossiping, address the transgression of disclosing one's finding to others. Right, neither mentions spying per se as a violation. Right, etc. Um, second, he notes that a web search only discloses public, publicly available information. And Allah, a gossip refers to one who intentionally goes into people's houses to observe them and then reports what he has seen. Despite these arguments, I believe that engaging in a web search that discloses private information not available from a casual Googling is a halachically questionable activity. Why is this so? And here he quotes Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz. Right, this is his, right, where he constructs a problem of cyberspy. Um, I don't know if, I mean, probably right that according to Ryakov Chagiz, it's Lashon Hara because it's cyberspy. He's probably right in that case, probably. I don't know what you can do with that, though, in a case where there's no human being, right? The way he's taking Ryakov Chagiz will not necessarily help you if you're not conveying the information, right? Meaning, I don't know if it weighs in on that. Can I ask um, two, two things? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just wanted to tell you that I have now read the English refresh. And astonishingly, it omits the entire sentence about cover, which is really, which is really interesting. Like that sentence just doesn't exist in English, right? What he said. So that that's we need to find someone who reads German and has access. Right? All he says is is accordingly the prohibition of not having consideration for every person in his private affairs and making it our effort makes it our duty to keep the strictest conscientiousness in talking about them. It's really quite well, okay. <laughs> really quite. That's, I just want to point it out. Like you know, I would have thought okay. we could. This, the, Fine, you know, I give up. If you speak, you if you speak, if your German is your German is definitely better than mine. If you can access the original German and figure out what he meant, then I, I can probably find somebody who reads German. Uh, the uh, I only read Gothic German, of course. But the <laughs> the uh, the, um, the other thing I thought so. Rabbi, May, Rabbi Dr. Mayer translates Rachel as spy, right? That's cheating. Yes, it is. <laughs> that is. That's very much cheating. How do you think the Halach of Tanos get right? You know, given the etymology of Rachel, right? So, do you think that we has to just surrender him on the etymology of Rachel, or do you think that he has a formulation in which one can be a Rachel to to oneself, or which one becomes a Rachel simply by knowing it? Yeah, meaning I don't. I, meaning the way he phrases it, I don't think he's giving it up, right? He's saying, right? I agree. Right? Meaning, right? Meaning he's conceptualizing it as I am, I'm not processing information. I am taking information and giving it to myself, right? Meaning, right? That's how he's 
etymologically justifying this move, right? He's saying, I'm not a listener of Lashon Hara anymore, right? I am a collector for myself. So I tried to, you know, I tried to argue that I think today, right, that, you know, collect, collectors and peddlers are not the same people. So how do you think he gets there? Look, I, you know, it could be he imagines, right, like, uh, I don't know, an antiques dealer who also has a personal interest in antiques, right? And, you know, they'll bring it to auction and every so often, they'll, right, they'll buy it themselves, right, or keep it for themselves, right? Meaning the same side of person who's interested in peddling it is often interested in collecting in it, right? He doesn't necessarily, right, there isn't always a sharp line, right? Right. He might just have a very sort of realistic right imagination of what the type of person is. Right. Like who is a very good salesman, often the person who's interested in those wares. Right. So if someone right, the best salesman for. Uh, whatever. Right. For yes. for health. Right. A, a good health health food salesman. Right. If you see someone who looks unhealthy. Right. And doesn't right? Live that life, right? I mean, the best salesman is the person who says, I use this myself, right? That's like, right, right? Trust me, I use it myself, right? There is that line at which the person who peddles something, it's because, right, they want it for themselves also. So I, right? I understand that, right? But the, um, but the, I think what, I think what really gets me about his rhetoric, which makes me, is, is his Mali, right? Where he assumes that, that there should be a, a an intuitively compelling argument that you understand why they're not different. And the way most of the ways we've set it up, you know, they are, it's the other way around, right? It's obviously a big fetish to move from telling information to somebody else to just knowing it. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to work at, I guess, is some notion that what the problem is not you're telling it to someone else. The problem is that the information is known. And who cares, right? And you made it known to yourself. And who cares whether you made it known to somebody else, you made it known. Now, we we'll say it makes it, the answer is if the, if what we're interested in is the privacy of the, right? That's the argument I want to move toward, right? If you're interested in the privacy of the person. So then what you have done by knowing it is you have infringed on the privacy of the person. And if you want, right? If you really want to um, right, try to really push the analogy to say is, that you have made that person's information something that is of value to someone other than that person. Right. So meaning, right. So I, right. You're saying it's right. You know, I mean, I mean, I have one formulation like that where I don't know how different he is in that sense on Maharash. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's why I said, right. I mean, it's, is it that it made it known, right. Meaning he's, what he's doing by taking it from you is he's commodifying it. Right. And Right. Yeah, right. Meaning he's right by by expressing that interest and taking it from you, right? He is, right. Yeah, the problem is just uh, commodifying. You know, puts the capitalist onus on and makes us care about money. Fine, not. I mean, that's why I'm trying to move away. It's not. It's not that it makes it. You know, that's why even I framed this makes it something of value. It okay. Fine, I'll, I'll makes it of value. Fine. I mean. Is, you know, look, 
the marchash is clearly going in a much more commodification thing. And and yes, I know, I know, and I won't deal with this extensively because this I know you spent time on yesterday. Was the extreme of that is the the mechudash way of reading gnevat dot, not as deceiving people, but as literally stealing knowledge, which I love. I think it's fascinating, right? You quoted it from Rav Zilberstein, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, right? He's not the only one who says it. There aren't many. Um, I think I had one, one more, um, at least. Did I include it? Yeah. Uh, no. Right. It's the Right. The Chikke Lev was the yeah. first person who said it. Right. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I put it there. I did, but he's impossible to read um, because I saw you did the exact same thing that I did. Right. Which is that you tried to copy and uh, right, copy and paste it from which I mean it's terrible. So I'm not going to make anyone endure it again. <laughs> right. But yes, th- this this piece in the in the in the Lev. Right. The Gonev Dad Habriot. Yeah. All right. Ellie Plater um, just put on the on the web that, uh, on the chat that the the Hebrew cover seems to be an invention, but he has a German. Ah, uh, that's helpful. <laughs> that's really wild. Okay, so we I, I, let's leave a version on the side. I mean, you can you can probably build a whole thing on who was the translator who decided that was the theory he wanted to put into Hirsch. I don't know. And is that person an independent halachic source? You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to tell you. I don't Maybe know who that is. German manuscripts. What? Maybe they're different German yeah, manuscripts. I, Maybe the German edition was censored and we were, and right, this is published from the, the Hebrew is published from the original manuscript. That's the theory that I'm going with. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll okay, fine. Fine. Um, <laughs> fine. Um, okay. So what we have here is a few models here, right? Some which emerge from Lashon Hara and some which emerge directly from some sort of recognition of ownership over your information. Um, now, the third model, and this is the one that is most discussed in postgame and also the one you're discussing the most, so I will not beat it to death, unless Ray Copper wants me to beat it to death, but I will, otherwise I won't, is the Hezek to Hezek to expanding on Hezek ad infinitum thing, right? Which if I recap what you did yesterday, which was you have the Miri and you have Revelio Mizrahi and Revelio Mizrahi sounds like categorically Hezek Re'iyah does not expand to Hezek Shmia. And the Miri makes a practical argument that everybody knows that you can hear them and therefore it's not really Hezek. And then the question becomes, does the Miri really mean that? Um, which some post him think no. Um, the Miri and their aim are in complete agreement. And what they're really telling you is that Hezekria does not extend to Hezekia. Hezekia is a very limited category that has to do with visual damage because of whatever, whatever, whatever. Ayin Hara, or take your pick of the different positions that it could be, right? Whether you take the three positions, the Ramban. Well, I don't know what you went through today. You went through the different models of Hezekria and the Ramban and Nuntet or the Chisarashba. I haven't done that. I just, you know, my, my kiddush, you can say, right, so, you know, I'm not sure that anyone else agreed with me. So you can tell me if you think you find it compelling. Uh, my point is that, that Hezekiah is not actually a category of Nezek. It's a category of, of, of burden shifting. And, right, and the, the, way, the, the way I want to, um, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a machloket, right? Meaning it's a machloket. <clears throat> so you can go through that. I, I didn't do that. And I'm probably not going to. So you can, you can, right, you can present the, 
the formal argument. My, my argument was- Okay, I mean- Go ahead. I, I wanted to argue that Hezekiah means that society, that we have a, we, we see a, there being a Torah interest in people having a space in which, um, in which other people's, what other people see is not their responsibility. Whereas Hezek Shmiya is that, right, we have no interest in creating a space where what other people hear is not your responsibility. What's wrong with me? Okay, you're cutting out on me. I don't know if it's my internet uh, or yours. Uh, um, look, yeah. so, uh, okay. Meaning it's, it's, uh, oh, among, in the Lamdanim, right, one of these central shilas is exactly what you're saying, right? Is Hezekiah Hezek? Or they, as the Lamdanim would put it, if you look in all the Acharnim, right, is Hezekiah Hezek? Is it damage? Or is Hezek um just a function of Hilchot Shechem? Right? That's essentially the Lamdish way that they would put it. Right? I agree with you, right? The simplest understanding is that Hezekiah is a function of Hilchot Shechem, right? The best proof for that, as I Oh, what is going on my screen? One second. Oh, my screen just is like blacking out. I don't know why. Can you hear me? I can hear, we can hear you, yes. Okay. No, it's doing this again. I think it's something with the Zoom. One second. So, right, so in the Lamdanim, right, you have that, right, this notion that Hil that Hezekiah is really just a function of Hilchot Shechenim. Um, right, I mean, look, you, you know, th this becomes, right, clear when, like, the same, right, what is going on with my computer? One second. We can hear you playing through this. Okay, so I'll talk. I don't know what's going like the screen is going back and forth. I hope that's not a problem with my computer. Um, so and the uh, right one of the questions that the Mafarshim deal with is right, there's at least one case, as the Gemara says in right from Baba Mitsia Kovzayan, or the case of in a Gina where everyone agrees that there is a Zagriya. Um, and the question is, right, is that, is that really Hezegria, right? Is Hezegria and whatever that is different, right? Is Ayin Hara different, um, right? Is the Gemara talking about different scales? No. This one is just a Hilchot question. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think that Hezegria is just a function of Hilchot it's not really damage. Right, the word hezek here doesn't really mean damage at all, right? What it means, 
is um, that we have sort of mutual responsibilities to each other. And the question is, at what point am I imposing in a way that I don't have the rights to because you have more rights to this space or something like that? Um, So, I mean, you know, that's definitely a right as distinct possibility within, um, within, right within Hilchotchenim. Um, I mean, I don't know what what sources did you look at today? Do you did you did more sources in Hilchotchenim? Uh, no, no, today I, or I really, or no. I really just tried to set it up as right that the that the machloka the Hezekri and Hezek Shmia might not be about Ri and Shmia at all, but might be about um, social. What, what we whether we think there's a social benefit to allowing places. You know what? While my computer is acting up, I'm going to join on my phone also. And okay. What, what I argued today, <laughs> what I argued today was was that um, that we should see the difference in Re'i and Shmia not about um, the the whether it's what the what the sense mode is, but about the general question of whether. We have a social interest in allowing spaces where you're allowed to where you're allowed to presume that you have privacy, and that the question then was whether whether right we said was why I argued was that in the Gemara we right we have an interest in allowing you a space where you have a presumption of visual privacy, but we have no interest in allowing you a space where there's a presumption of audio privacy because the social consequences are that people will spill more secrets than they would otherwise. They will spill more secrets than they would otherwise? Right. Because we say that, right, you should, right, over Shemayim Yelicha Really. really. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I Okay, now you're back on your you're on your phone. I see. Okay, yeah. So I was already right. So the 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 rationale given for not having a hezek shmia is that it would that we don't ever want people to be comfortable, right? We don't ever want people to act as if there are other people not listening to them. But by Ria, we don't think that way. So the question is, what do we think about data? Do we want people? Do we think it's a good thing if people feel that there's a space in which they have data privacy, or do we not? And we think it's not a good thing for people to feel that way because just like the, the walls have ears, so to the apps have ears. Then, um, right, then we shouldn't, right? Then we should, then we should not create that presumption. Um. Audio privacy to be less strict than visual privacy. The positions that say there's no hezek shmia think yeah. that there should be, they never have a presumption. Okay. It's because 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 There we go. Okay. I mean, you argue that you don't want people to be comfortable talking in private. 
And therefore, we fundamentally reject the notion of Hezek Shmia for that reason. You're on mute now. The position that rejects Hezek Shmia does so because it doesn't ever want people to feel comfortable about audio privacy. But what's the Wait, how do you, how do you, oh. Is that true? Isn't that the rationale we get, right? That, the call? Isn't that the, I build it off the Pelio 8s, right? The Pelio 8s talks about this at great length, that everybody, right, that, um, that you should never, ever, ever talk about a secret anywhere. Because wherever you tell it, there's always somebody listening. Um. How is that like intrinsically different from like the Hezekiah of like, you know, people are always doing their own thing and, you know, you don't presume that someone's going to talk about the action that they saw you do. Um, so I don't see how that's any different from like somebody telling over the thing you told them. So it's like you also don't want all your actions to be retold to someone else. You don't, but you don't want your, right. So what I tried to argue was that, of course, it's wrong to, Right to surreptitiously listen to somebody, just like it's wrong, it's, it's wrong to stare at somebody, um, right, who's undressed. But what we say is that is that I'm allowed to undress in my shower because I'm allowed to. Um, we allow me to be comfortable that no one is looking at me, but I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to shout uh, right to shout secrets to the walls because I'm not right because we have no interest in allowing me to be comfortable shouting secrets to the walls. Oh, yeah. So I guess the problem that we're dealing with is if you say something or write something that you don't expect anyone to see and then they see it later. Like what? So that is, is it their fault or your fault? All right, right. But if you say something, it's your fault if somebody hears it. Always. Strict liability. You should never say anything. But if you write, but you're allowed to undress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I argued was that this is, you know, this is a debate about how we teach kids about social media. Do we tell kids be careful, right? You know, only only to put things on closed groups, you know, and right? Or do we tell people no, never put anything on social media that you don't want to be retold because the presumption is that there's no presumption, right? That anything on the internet will be, and we don't, we don't, we have no interest in creating the illusion that there is privacy on the internet. Okay, but that's. Right, but what you're saying is that there's a, no presumption that there is that there is privacy by by um, listening. Meaning, meaning, let's say right, there's information which clearly you should share. Let's say with your spouse, right? Like, right. just you know, you talk about your salary, right? Uh huh. Right. That you're right, and if someone listens in. So now you're telling me the model we should have is that is that what that I I that uh, if I tell a right if I tell a secret to my wife and someone else hears it right that's right that's my fault for telling the secret where someone else could hear it but in my house. Even in my house, that's the point of the, that's right, that's the point. Even in my house, I have, right, it's my, it's a strict liability system, right? We know, I know there'll be, right, where Halakha always imposes the burden on the secret, right, on the person who possesses the secret. 
That's right, so, I mean, look, so this is, I mean, this is, right, this is really the question, right? Meaning, right, what you're saying is you're assuming the Me'iri is equivalent fundamentally to which, right, some post can do assume that at the end of the day, the, the Me'iri isn't saying something fundamentally different from the Re'ain, right? Um, and they're just saying different versions of information, right? Shmia is just not here. That's not what Hezekiah is. Um, but mm -hmm. those who extend Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah does Hezekiah because they think that Hezekiah implies a category, more general category, a violation of privacy, or at least violation of privacy that impinges on me living my life the way a normal person would. Um, right? Whether that's um, Rav Zilberstein, or I gave you the article by um, Rav Shenkolovsky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Um, um, I think it's in the Chuvnot, uh, what I put, Av Avne Nesher or something. That one, that one I have. It's uh, That one I have. That we're, we're planning to do it next week. Um, but I, I want to reverse the argument. I want to say that um, what the Me'iri tells you, what that uses is that our criteria is do we think there is a value for society in having a space where I can do this privately? And so in right, Miri said that, and the reason we don't want it, there are two possible reasons we might not want it. One might, one might be because we don't think, believe in the value of privacy. And the other is we might think that in fact, you can't have it, right? Because visually we can create real, board, real, real things. There is a really a way in which I can create visual privacy because I can put up walls. But I can't put up soundproof walls, right? There aren't really soundproof walls as a practical thing um, in, in society. So therefore, the best thing is to create a society where we, where we treat, where everybody has to always be afraid that somebody is listening. And there's a cost, right? The cost is that you, you, know, you might not tell things to your spouse. You might otherwise, you might have to be like Yaakov, where it's Pelio 8 says, right? I might have to, if I want to tell, if I want to, if I want to talk to my wife, I have to tell her to go out into a field somewhere, right? And meet me in the fields because I can't have privacy in my house. So the question is, when it comes to data privacy, I can I could go either way. I could say, you know what, because we live in a world where the apps are ubiquitous and there's no hope of containing it, therefore it's always a mistake to create the impression of privacy. And I just I said this is what we do on listservs, right? That you, we tell people, right, never act as if the listserv is confidential, and then get mad when people breach the confidentiality, right? You simply you right, it's always wrong for you to presume confidentiality. Or do we say that, no, you know what, it's, um, as you said, right, we can't live a normal life if everything about us is known. And so we're going to fight with might and main to, right, to, right, to prevent people from seeing our data. And our goal is, right, it's really important to us as a society to create a space where people can feel safe about their data. And, right, and the way we'll do that is by trying very hard to punish people who infringe on it. Um, right. So, right. I mean, so what, what, what gets tricky here, right. Is, um, right. I mean, right. Certain posts can do extend it, right. From Hezekiah, Desik Shmiya, but, and then from there to data and stuff like that. But what gets tricky is that it's always unclear what Hezekiah itself means. Right, because sometimes Hezekria means right. For some, it means Hezek. For some, it means Hilchot Shchenim. Right. For the Rajba, 
right? Hilchot Hezek Re'iyah is equivalent to a a fundamental value of Tzniyut, mm-hmm. right? And that's why you can't be Mochel on it, right? Because he equates it, right? In Shuvah Zarajah, Rabbi Zerish Samachet, right? So you should probably go through it because they haven't done that. So why, why, why don't we pick up there and set it out in those terms? Okay, fine. I, I will do the best from memory while I let my computer rest for a second, but fine. Um, you know, I can, no, that's not true. I have my smart. <laughs> okay, so I don't know what number you have this, but I think, you know, if you go to the link, right, I gave you the link there in the middle to Hazanat Seder from Olamot. If you just press it, a new source sheet will open up, right? Basically, I wanted you to open this issue for you, but if you want, you know, several collected articles and sources on it, um, you can pull up that source sheet that they made, which is Mm -hmm. 15. Um, So, Im Zachur Linachon, if you go there on page, see, okay, I'm going to really try my memory here. Page one is the title page. Let's see. Page two is the Gemaras. So page three of their source sheet. Uh, well, on, on, if you look at the PDF, it's page four where you have the Ramban. Is that what you're looking okay, for? Okay, right. Okay, fine. Right. So if you look, for example, the Ramban on Daphne and Ted. Is that it, So... The um, the Ramban says. One second. Right there, there are three. Right there are three elements. To um, to what Hezekiah, right, is or or might be. Oh, look at that! My computer is working, so I can see what you're saying. I think my computer just overheated for a minute, minute from giving consecutive shiram or something. Um, okay, right. So the Ramban and Nuntet tells you, um, right, it's following the, the, the following. Right, he says, um, right, where the arrow is. Right, this makes it helpful for them. Right, but who had then called again? Right? He says, Hezekiah is conceptualized as damage for one of three reasons, right? Either because it is Ayin Hara, right? So it actually causes damage um, in some spiritual metaphysical sense or physical sense, but using metaphysical powers or something like that. Um, or because Lashon Hara, like it elicits Lashon Hara or causes Lashon Hara, right? Or what Hezekiah means is a breach of Tzni'ut. Um, so this gets complicated, right? Because um, what does it mean? Obviously, if 
Hezek Re'iya is synonymous with the Sugyan Bava Metziah, and it's about causing Ayin Hara, and you understand that in a visual sense, so then it is limited to visual, right, to being visual. If you think that Lashon Hara, that Hezek Re'iya is really synonymous with the Gemara's later discussion of, of Bilam, right, of Bilam's bracha, of praising the Jews for their tzniut, which is what the Rajba says, right? They don't put it here, but it's Bez Reisamachet. I think I put it on my sheet. Um, then, right, you're making a much bigger claim if you reject it entirely. Because what you're saying is that there's no value to tzniut, right? I don't know, right? I Meaning, is that what you're saying, right? If you think that Hezekiah is synonymous with an obligation to have tzniut, Right, both to protect other people's tzniut, but possibly also to have it yourself. Um, that might better carry over to uh, to Hezek Shmiya. Um, right, a lot of it really comes down to this question of what, right, what is, right, what is Hezek Re'ia? Um, and again, it's not. It's, it's not clear what Hezekri is, right? Again, some of the postcom like the Ramban, really think it's damage. But even within damage, it's damage that emerges from different conceptualizations. Um, if you look at... Um, let me think of a good example here. Think here. If you look on... Yeah, I mean, like if you look, for example, on page five here, right? They quote, they have the Stiplers piece from the Kilat Yaakov, right? Where he says Hezekiah captures three different categories, right? Hezek Legufo, Hezek Lemono, the Isura, right? There's two types of damage that Hezekiah captures, right? Damaging someone's person, damaging their property. Um, but there's also the Isser element, right? The violation of Tzniut. Um, and if you look at the Evan Azel that they have here on page five, right, he raises the right classic question, which is, is Hezek Re'iya really a type of damage or is it really Hilchot Shreinim? And the real problem is what he calls Miniyat Hishtamshtut, right, is that we're preventing you from, from using your house, right? Now, if it's preventing you from using your house, so on the one hand, you might say, well, if I have no privacy, Right, because you know everything is being collected, all information is being collected, so it can be has agree. On the other hand, it could be if Ray Clapper is right, we have no expectation that someone should ever have felt like he had privacy when it came to anything that wasn't visual. Um, in which case, you know, it would not be expandable to to Hezek Shmiya. Um, you know, a lot of this is going to come down to this question, right, of, of defining um, what Hezek Re'ia is to begin with, whether that makes sense as Hezek Shmiya, and whether that can then be further expanded um, to, to data. 
Um, yeah, I mean, how are are you done with Hezegree? How much of Hezegree are you are you are you doing? We don't really know. <laughs> yeah. We're mostly focusing on the 23andMe question. Uh, but probably... No, we've definitely done some sources on Hezekiah. Yeah, I don't know how much more we're going to do. Yeah. It's... We kind of never really... Right, 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 Clapper left the room, so he can't tell me how much he's going to do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so many plans and what we cover because of our discussion, so it's... Okay, fine. So... <laughs> Right back. Second. He's asking how much of Hezekiah we're going to do. I'm pretty much, you can do as much of it as you want because I don't intend to do it in depth anymore. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me let me run through a little bit. Um, okay, I'll, I'll try to run through it a little bit more. Um, okay, so again, so let, let's run through it, right? Um, right, in order to figure out whether Hezekiah applies, we've got to figure out is, first of all, right, what is it? Um, as we said, the Ramban has three um, elements to it, right? Hezekiah is a way of saying that we have a problem with Ayin Hara, the damage you cause that way. Um, it causes Lashon Hara, um, or it's a violation of, uh, of Sni'ut. Um, there's two basic conceptualizations that you find in postkim of Hezekiah. One is that it's actually some sort of damage. Um, damage to person, damage to body, or uh, it's really a function of of of, uh, of neighborly law um, or zoning laws, really. Um, specifically, it being a problem of uh, of miniat um, hishtam shoot. The question then becomes: Does it apply to whatever it is? Does it apply to shmiya? So again, you have the Rebbeim Mizrahi who says categorically there is no hezek shmiya. Meiri says that there isn't because. Most people have to be careful about how they talk. Um, it could be that Eric Clapper is right. The Miri is just describing it, but, but in the end, they're the same. And what this really comes down to is that either breaching privacy or, right through audio, uh, with through sound, whatever, information without a visual component is not considered damage, or simply there's no expectation of privacy. But several posts in um, Ruben Sion Nesher and the Evan Pina, which you are going to do. Um, Rashuke Hamed, um, Revelezer Shen Kalovsky, which the article is in the in that um, in that PDF from from Olamot, um, all assume that um, the Meiri would in fact believe in Hezek Shmiya in a case where it actually prevents you from from living your life. Um, Rabbi Lam accepts this um, as well and argues that bugging is clearly prohibited based on, um, on the Me'iri. Um, Rabbi Dr. Asher Mayer in the article that I mentioned at the end um, believes this uh, as well um, and expands upon the Me'iri uh, for that um, as well. Um, so there is another, right, this whole school of thought who believe that Hezekiah through its more expansive understandings um, of of you know it being a problem for you to prevent someone from living their life and then assuming that being able to you know use the internet or something like that is a legitimate desire of people um, who claim that 
taking people's information and using it and breaching their data is a stent- is, is potentially a expansion of this of this Hezekiah category. Um, again, even some of them who raise it as a possibility aren't convinced, um, either because it is making jumps. So Relazer Shen Kalavsky in his article notes that there is a logical move that can be made, but he's not sure that you should make it um, because no Rishon or Achron explicitly does it. I mean, in that sense, we're back to our opening question, which is at some level we're in unchartered territory, right? Because what Shmia means potentially now is so different that, um, and we don't really have any explicit language to say that it would apply in this case. So we're sort of, right, we're stuck either saying this is too expanded and therefore it no longer fits that category or comfortably expanding the category based on, um, you know, some sort of conceptualization that would, uh, would allow for it. Um, so that's another axis. Um, I see I only have an hour left, so I do, well, I want to very quickly throw out two models and then we can circle back. Um, Half an hour. Another, um, another way of really sidestepping this whole thing, and this is cheating, but post can do it. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, sure, go. Okay, um, the example of Facebook, um, I don't know if you, I didn't hear the beginning of the class, so I don't know if you talked about Facebook. Um, did you guys talk? No. Yeah, I was wondering, what? Of Facebook? Oh, okay, yeah, so maybe if it's repetitive, no need to repeat, but just wondering, like, with the category of Facebook, because I think that's like a, I think it's common knowledge, I don't, I never looked into this, but they're like, some people are criticizing Facebook for selling personal information to people, like, how would we, like, that would be kind of like a real life application for like some of these concepts. So like, what- Yeah, do, yeah, no, so I so modern... in the beginning, right, I mean, I started because this was an actual Shaila I got, right? Okay. Right, was from someone who worked it for a data protection company. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is an actual Shaila. This is not, that, that, that's why this is all very, very much practical, right? This is- Right. So this is really the question is, is does Halak have a language for all of these things? Um, so to review what we've seen, and then we can circle, like, again, we can come back to it. Um, one model we said was Lashon Hara. There's Yehuda's model, which is to basically ignore the difference between a person and automation. There's saying that Lashon Hara is focused on d- results rather than process. So if that conveying information damages someone that makes it Lashonara. Model three was to maybe take go back to the metaphor of Rochel and say, no, 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 the valuing or commodification or transfer of whatever of information without permission is Lashonara. Model four, right, the fourth point was to say, even if that's not Lashonara, maybe taking someone's information, um, people own their private information and therefore using it without their permission is stealing, which you find from the Marchash. Um, then we move to the possibility that this is a, um, maybe this is the wrong category entirely, maybe the right category to talk about um, for, um, you know, the right to have your data protected or prohibitions to violate people's um, um, or use people's data or share people's data um, is from Hezek Re'iyah, um and its derivative category. If Hezek Shmiya 
And if Hezekiah can be expanded that way. Um, just to quickly throw out um, cheating categories, but they're, but they're worth knowing. Um, and it goes like this. Um, one of the potential models for using people's information that everyone points to is Hiram de Beno Gershom, not the one against polygamy, but the one against reading people's mail. Um, and one of the questions that the postgame deal with is what was Rabbeinu Gershom doing? Was Rabbeinu Gershom creating a new prohibition or alternatively, was he adding a cherem, right? Adding punishment or consequences to um, something that was forbidden, but maybe didn't have consequences. Meaning reading someone's mail was halakhically wrong, but there was no punishment that came with it. It had no teeth. And Rabbeinu Gershom came just to bolster, um, just to bolster <coughs> the, um, the Isra that already um, existed. Um, so many believe that it is the, the latter. Um, that Chirim Gershom is really bolstering a mitzvah that already exists. Um, so what is that? So this is where you have um, Reb Chaim Shabtai in Tshuva Tarachayim, who argues that it is Rechilut, um, because, but only because he thinks that people who, use, who, who access information that way are going to use it, um, and therefore it is Rechilut. Um, as we already saw from the um, from Malachot he thinks that merely accessing the information for yourself is Rechilut, um, and therefore he thinks that that is, Chirim Gershom is merely bolstering that understanding of Rechilut. The tshuva that we already saw from the Chikke Leiv says that it's bolstering the idea of Gneva, of theft of information. Um, but so, um, you also have the Gneva Dad position that we saw, um, but some postkim just said, you know what? The reason it was usher wasn't because of any of these, these sort of hard and fast prohibitions. The reason it was usher was because of Vahaftal Reicha Kamocha. Because it's wrong. It's just wrong. That's not what you want done to you. So you shouldn't do it to other people. Um, and that's what it is it's a violation of Vahaftal Reicha Kamocha. And therefore, Cherem Aaron Gershom was just giving teeth. To what's obviously a violation of a hafdarecha kamocha. Okay, like um, I just wanted to ask about like practical examples of data privacy. So, like I know, for example, on Facebook, um, every person that makes an account has to like sign or not sign, but like click like agree um, to make an account. So, would that have any? Points in I think yeah, so that's the second the half of the sheet that I gave you has okay. my summary of that of that issue. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Can I? Uh, I want to try, try and push something here, right? I know that, and we'll we'll figure out what you want to do next week if we don't finish the things you want now, because we because we do have to finish by six, and you're also going to collapse at some point. Uh, but I want to. I, I will note just by, by the way in the in the chuva you should just note if you didn't catch it you should note it but in the chuva that you put from Rabakshi Daron, yeah, right. Right. He does. Right. He pulls this move. Right. Of after throwing all the potential like formal, pro like 
more formal prohibitions, right? He says, and it might just be, right? And right? Which is, you know, I, I have found in many of the post-skim, is their way of, um, right? Okay. If they don't have good language for it, of saying this is really problematic. And, you know, there's a mitzvah to not do things like that. Um, but without coming up with formal language, it's obviously once you're comfortable creating entire structures of law based on that, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to come up with language. Yeah. But it also, right, here's, a, here's what I want to try and push. Vazar um, also Kamoka also includes a massive cooler. If you, if yes. you, right, which is, what if, I what if I would want to know those things about someone else? Um, right. What if, right. What, right. What if, what, if, what, if, right. What if I think it's a better society if you all did it this way, right. There are all sorts of, so I want to, I guess what interests me about the, I think a space and I was realizing just listening to your presentation, it was a space that I had failed to open in, in my share. So I'm going to take this, this occasion. You haven't distinguished between kinds of data, right. We could argue that there's Hezek Ria, there's no Hezek Shmiya and some kinds of data are like Hezek Ria and some kinds of data are like Hezek Shmiya. So let's, so I was I was started thinking of the case that we had discussed before, and then I and that we missed the opportunity to bring up when Yehuda was yelling about a nation, which is the um, the photos at uh, the photos at airport security. Mm. So I don't think anyone would argue that having a machine take a photo of you right that looks like you without clothes is the same thing, even though no human being will ever see it. Is the same thing as having a human being see it. Right? I don't. I don't. Right? I don't. Th I don't think we we, we could ever allow the machine to replace human beings, in um, in that way. So what about let's say right? But so when we talk about commodification of data, um, right? Or or knowing other people's data. So what happens if I just out of interest? I have an interest in knowing the average weight of human beings in the town of Sharon. <clears throat> so I put in a scale that you know in the center of town. Now I do this for cars, by the way, right? Which is not, you know, so I could do, I could get this data. Everyone has, every road has data, collects data about yeah. the weight of cars. So I can always just do it by, you know, creating the average weight of cars, manage the average number of, but let's suppose I'm not being that fancy, right? I just put, <laughs> without telling people, I put a scale on this, in the center of town, which without any recording of anything other than the total number of weights and by the total number of weights and the total weight, it records the weight of everybody who passes by anonymously. And on the basis of that, I develop a data set that, um, that tells me the average weight of human beings, which I then sell to companies who are trying to uh, correct, um, produce algorithms for fuel consumption uh, in airlines. Hmm. Now, would that, be, would, right, would that be a violation of the commodification of information, even though there are no consequences for me, right? The, the example you gave, there are consequences for the person, right? right? Right, the people whose data are, is collected don't get loans, but they, this way, the people whose data is collected have is there's no impact on them at all, right? Just I get money out of it, all right? Because I can sell, right? Or I get, or I get, you know, I get the joy of knowing better than anybody else what the average weight of human of human beings in the town of Sharon is, and I just enjoy knowing things that no one else does. So, this any, pardon? Yes, this sounds a lot like. Like um, the dilemma that like scientific research studies have, where like every participant has to like sign a consent form that they're gonna like you know f fill out all the stuff, 
um, and also are told that their data is not going to be shared other than that specific fact, but nothing identifying. And then they gather like 400, you know, data points about such and such thing. And then like, you know, all of the mainstream, like scientific ethics organization accept this as, you know, like um, protocol. So we have moved, I think that's correct. We have moved in science to a sense that, you know, that data about, all data about yourself is protected by your privacy. Although we can say that's because of a risk that even when, you know, when I, even though the, 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 um, the, the study designers claim it'll be anonymous, but there's always a risk it'll be leaked. So I'm right, trying to set up a circumstance where there's no risk of it being leaked, right? Absolutely no risk. I'm just setting up a machine that doesn't record the data because I have no interest in verifying it later. I just, right? So I'm, right, so I'm asking everybody's hearing, right? Do you think that any of the models you have set up would actually make that usser? I'm not allowed to set up a machine that weighs people without their knowledge, even though no human being will ever possibly know, right? What the people on what what the people weigh. Um, I mean, potentially, if you think that you own that information about yourself, then yes, you know, like I'm going to pull up a chuva, not from either of our favorite postkin, but you know, the Lefistanos, aren't you? <laughs> What the mission Allah? Yeah, yeah. yeah mission Allah, sorry, yes, my fault, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the mission Allah, he's dealing with the question of whether you can, um, whether someone can protest when someone takes a photograph of him, mm-hmm. right? Um, for two reasons, right? One is whether he has the right to be machmir like the positions that his usher have photographs. Right, which is an interesting question, mm-hmm. um, right? And the other is whether you own your picture. Um, so he says, "Me'ata lomni bay lamanda machmer al asmo bechlal shelo letzdale shiuchal limchot ba'acherim shelo yasu lo davar shuhu svira leil isura velo yava lo shum nezek lo olam haba al yado." Okay, right. That's a great thing, right? This is you know, the NCAA case, right? That athletes have the right, athletes own their image and have the right to, right, to, merchandise, to merchandise it or not. But, but it seems to me, but, so I'm trying to build a case here, right? Now, let's say even Rabbi Nasha Klein, right? I walk down the street and I look at the people in my shear and I say, aha, Red, brown, I you know, you know, somewhere off brown. I have now collected data based on my visual observation of my students. Mm-hmm. Right? Is it is it also for me to now write an article saying that today in Shear I had one redheaded student, one brown-headed student, right, one sort of blonde student? <laughs> or do you, or do students own the right the the color of their hair? In the same way they own their right their images or possibly their weight, which you thought, right? Uh, if not, is it just because they can't control it because I can look at it? 
um, right? So, for example, right? So if we were if if the student generally wore you know a bandana, so then it would become private information, um, right? What what I'm trying to build argument is that as opposed to trying to put data in the category of either Ria or Shmia, or it might be the right question to ask is which data is Ria, and which data is Shmia. And there's also a lot of data that's like already public information. Like I can look up someone and figure out where they live because their name is on the deed that's public. Like, can I share that information if it's already out there? Right. So that's right. So we have, we have the category. That's the Lush and Hara category, right? Information that's publicly known. Hair color might be in the category of information that can't be kept private anyway. Right. But we can, have but there's innocuous information, um, right? That um, right? ordinarily no one would care whether it's known about. Um, which isn't as personal as an image where you can right where you have a sense that an image is part of the uh, you can argue that in, in Brandeis's language right that the image is part of the inviolate personality as opposed to let's suppose just you know that and again because in your case we're anonymizing it right so I go around shaking hands with people and just classifying right I, having shaken hands with people I classify them as you know as limp fish gorilla Mm -hmm. Right or right or ordinary human being, and then I publish a study about right about relevant or all, do you think any of those things are us, sir? Without asking them first, right? Without asking them first. Okay. But I'm not doing anything, right? I'm not. They're not doing anything involuntarily. I'm not recording. I'm not. I'm not surreptitiously recording any information about anything they can't. It's not obvious. Obviously, they shake my hands. They know how strongly they shook my hand. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So, are any of those things us, sir? So, I mean, there's really two questions, right? One is, is it potentially usser, meaning categorically? The other is, can you get around it with the implied acquiescence? Mm -hmm. Right? Right? Those aren't the same. Um, true. So we could argue, let's say, that everybody right? walking yeah. out into a public space is acquiescing to everybody else observing them. And therefore, all data that can be gained visually from them. But we don't say that about photographs. It's really was, right. Meaning this was right. Meaning right, this came down to the right. There was a, there was a there was a famous court case about this. Right. Where a woman realized that. Her story, her life story had become the inspiration of someone else's fiction novel. Yesterday. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, you have to get right. legal in America to write a memoir. Did you deal with it? No, no, no. But like, Elena, what are you trying to say? Um, I know in America, there's a law that if you're writing a memoir, you have to get legal permission from every person who was involved in it. Who's like, right. so, but the question that one was, she was the inspiration, but it wasn't oh. right, right? She was the inspiration. And she got annoyed because the person was inspired by them, but took poetic license. And then people eventually figured out that she was the inspiration and thought that the Right. It wasn't a it was a non it was a fiction book. Right. This person just happened to be the inspiration and sued when she realized that she was the inspiration. And enough people realized that and then started thinking that the fictional parts of the book were representations of her life. But what if it right? What if she hadn't you know, realized that no one ever realized it? Just the uh, right. What if there's no risk of that? And I should say the novel I just finished reading a, a last week and then she went and murdered everybody who was involved in doing it. <laughs> So that there are there are more extreme versions. Yeah, it's a fictionalization, right? The person that might now sue the, the new novel, 
Right? Everyone, will, everyone will, will, will react to her as a potential lunatic. But the, um, yeah, so, I, but I, I, I'm wondering, right, is it, do you, right, so I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, do you think that the, the American notion about this, I think, is not based on Lush and Hara that it could damage you? And is, right, I think it's based on a concept of privacy, right? And not so much that you own it, right? I guess that's what I'm, what I'm trying to argue in this. We read the Warren Brandeis article. Right? Like the Warren Brandeis, the Kiddush of the Warren Brandeis article, I think, I want to write it. It's not, it's not that you own it in the sense that you have a Kenyan on it. It's that you have a, right, it's that you have a right to a space. So do you see, do you think, right? And that means, right, that, you know, that, that that creates a you know you don't have to construct the arguments like about commodification or the risk that it'll get out it's just that this is me so i'm wondering do you see anything like that in halacha right or do you see space in halacha for saying that as opposed to talking about what have you right where is there consent and where is there is not consent that we have an argument about which is the data that is people and which is the data that is that is something apart from them I mean, you do see that. You see it in this weird little machloket about let people taking pictures, right? Yeah. Because you have like Rabaviner's response to Ramanasha Klein is, eh, your image isn't real enough, right? This is not real. It's just not something you can, um, right? Or and Rabbital Stern also Rabbital Chachma. Right, right, says you might own yourself, but that doesn't mean you own all replications of your image, right? Like there's just certain things that aren't really yours, right? They're like associated with you, derived from you, um, right? But what they recognize is that that's really the machloket here, right? Is that someone who goes as far as Manasha Klein is claiming that right? You do anything that is derived from you in that sense is you, is yours. See, right? I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's true. I guess I, you know, I, I should you know, reference that there is a Kung Fu episode about this. Um, but Kung Fu is an old television show, not, not the new one, right? Which, um, whatever, you can talk about it some other point. You know, imagine you know, if you just leave aside the monotheism of Odozara thing, it's a marvelous this depiction of life in, of what Yeshiva is supposed to be about. But uh, except it's not Bodhisattva Yeshiva, it's a problem. But, the, <laughs> uh, but it's all about it, you know, a young guy, a young guy who goes to you know, who goes to Yeshiva and then has to run away, you know, and live in the outside world. And whenever he feeds, feeds, whenever he, feeds, he meets a new situation, he thinks, what would my, he thinks about something his Rebbeim taught him and makes the best analogy <laughs> to what the, uh, to what is done. But what I, my is this, so I think that the, everyone can understand, right, if nothing else from athletic licensing, that, your image is you in a real, in a sense, it's not just information about you, but when people see your image, they associate it with you, right? So it's other people associate your image with you. That's not true about your weights. Mm -hmm. mm. so, right, so that's why, right? So that's, I don't know that, I don't know that just because Rev. Menashe Klein holds that your photograph is that way, that, um, right, that he, um, that he would extend it to weight and rather than rejecting it, I suspect is just not understand, you know, is, is asking the wrong question. The question is not whether you own the photograph. The question is whether you own the right to be associated with other things. Meaning what? 
when someone has a, my photograph, right? So they, right? So certainly if they use it in advertising, right? You know, because I don't own my photograph, but everybody looking at this, everybody looking at this thing will say, Rabbi Vinair now endorses Nike sneakers. Because right, because somebody right, because somebody put a photo of Robin Air, right? And this happens a lot, right? You know, usually it's not Nike sneakers. Usually it's uh, whatever that um, that Stucka is, mm-hmm. uh, right? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about? Kupata ear, right? Usually, photoshopping right. you all onto Kupata ear is a uh, right is is usually that. But I, I want to try. Does any does any of them really have this idea that it's not like own it? It's that, or let's let's take an, you know, here's the most extreme version of it. Do I have the right to not to give other people the the capacity to think about me visually? Right. If I, someone has a photograph of me, then they can think about my image however they want, because right yeah. in a way they couldn't if they right unless they have certain kinds of memories, perhaps but even then in a way they couldn't if they didn't have my photograph. So the photograph gives me not you know not uh, voodoo power over me. But it allows them to make me the object of their thought in a way that would not otherwise, uh, right? Which is not true of my weight, right. and it's certainly not true if it's not associated right. with me, right? So that's what I'm right. So right that's what, but it's also how far you take it, because like maybe weight could be like maybe it's like more subtle, but like maybe that could also if I know your weight, right? But certainly not if I just happen to know that that 100 people walked over it. I know the average weight. That doesn't tell me anything about you. Mm-hmm. It does because you can like imagine what a person would look like that has a certain weight. But, that, but, but I want to be with you. I will be you. I'm just thinking about it. I, what? I, I think mean, about generic right. person. Right? Anyway, right now, I am thinking of John. I mean, at some point, there's going to be some information. But again, I think it's going to be hard to figure out whether the reason that we don't give you, right, we don't give you, right, how would you be able to tell that the reason someone, it'd be very hard to figure out whether, right, whether in principle, there's certain data that you don't own about your, right, uh, you know, about yourself, or ones that there's a umdina demuchach that you let people use that data, right? Right. Meaning, if you walk in the street, right, like little kids, don't look at me, right? Don't look at me, right? Mm-hmm. Is is the reason that that's not legitimate because? you don't own your image, don't have rights of your image or because walking in the street is an implied permission. I don't know if you would ever be able to get a post to pin that down, right? Well, I'm obviously failing to get you, but <laughs> right, to pin, to pin, to pin it down. Um, but um, I'm just wondering whether- I, the, the I, right, I mean, I assume there's you know gotta be a limit, but I don't know, right? Meaning if, look, right? let's take the Hezegria cases, mm-hmm. right? There are certain cases where even though there's no Hezegria, we forbid staring, right? Mm-hmm. Like what? Right? We distinguish between seeing and staring. Where do we forbid right? staring? Give me an example. Right, meaning in the, in the, in the case of, um, one second. I mean, the Gina and Ayn, not Ayn Hara, right? Ayn Hara is cheating. Because Ayn Hara is real Nezir. Well, but, well, well, depends what you think Ayn Hara is. I get that. So That's uh, my but, point. Uh, right? Yeah. Do you think that everybody, 
a time. No, I don't. I don't I mean, it'd be fun if we could try and claim, claim, you know, claim that I can take your photograph, but I can't stare at it. Right? That way, right? and, you know, we engage in a transitive power that way. That's just like there's Einhard on a field, there's Einhard on a photograph. Um, look, I definitely think there. Are, look, definitely in the negative, right? There are definitely postkim who think there's a limit to this, right? Mm -hmm. That's clear, right? Many postkim do, whether it's photograph, right? Um, whether it's your chidushe Torah, right? Because Torah is something that you can't own even if you came up with it, right? Uh, right which was that weird machloket between Rav Goren and Rav Israeli, I think. Um, right, on whether you could um, publish someone's chidushe Torah without their permission, right? Even if they'd said it publicly, can you now publish it, right? Right. And you said it in a year. So there's definitely limits to it. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely a limit. Yeah, I think I think in the end of the day, right, well, every posting will have the limit of certain information about yourself that you just don't own. Let me try the other way around. Let's try the other way around. According to the Chavitz Chaim, oh, I hear it's Machmer. <laughs> right. According to the Chavitz Chaim, I own a sneaker shop. Right. Somebody walks in, uh, right. Somebody walks in and is trying, you know, is deciding whether to buy a sneaker. And I walk over to them and say, those sneakers, the Chazanish bought them last week. It's true. Okay. It's true. Now, the Chazanish bought, you know, it, is that the kind of thing that the Chavis Chaim would think is Asr? Let's assume that, it, you, know, it, you know, let's leave out the questions of whether it would damage the Chazanish because people would think the Chazanish endorses, you know, um, you know, buying things from from countries that use underage workers, or has really poor, or has really poor fashion taste, or things like that. Right? Find a new, right, a neutral product. Uh, right? Is that? Do you think the Chavis Chaim, right, which right, the Chavis Chaim opposed, uh, right, opposed transferring data like that? I like no, I don't think so. Hmm. I don't so think why, so. So why should it change now? What's different about these data things? Well, I mean, I mean but, but that's because I think the Chavetz Chaim, I mean, but why would the Chavetz Chaim do it, right? I mean, the Chavetz Chaim's model, right? Meaning in what sense is that any corruption of me or, right, to just say that he bought the sneakers, right? Is there something? So anyway, the Chavetz Chaim thinks talking about other people is wrong. Because it can imply something, like that he supports. No, just because it just because talking about other people is wrong. I mean, maybe, I guess. I Meaning it's not, I don't would it be Lush and Hara for him? Probably not. Right? Would it be wrong? Because the focus of your conversation, right, if it's pointless, like why are you sharing that information, right? About somebody else, maybe. I think that the Chavitzheim would. I think the Chavitzheim would say. Sorry. Well, what do you think the Chavitzheim would say? What? I think. I mean, if we assume, if, didn't we say that the Chavitzheim is against talking about people, even if it's a good thing about them? So, and that that would seem like transferring any information about people would be well, potentially. Yeah, but positive information he's worried might lead to negative information, right? right. Would absolutely pointless information do that? I mean, potentially. How do you know how somebody else is going to use that information? I guess I mean, you can always say the you know, the the, the I hear that you know the bought these sneakers. That's interesting because I heard the Chazidish. 
other sneakers. Yeah, the husband doesn't conversation. believe in sneakers, right? He wants first. <laughs> but do you think I mean, really? Yeah. Do you think that really the Chavis Chaim at core is about saying negative things about other people, or do you think that the Chavis Chaim at core is that he thinks that other people are not the proper are not the proper object of your thought? So that's like he, so. Well, example, he may believe that, but I don't think he thinks that's lashon hara necessarily. Those are right, mm. meaning. Ki'ilu that would belong in Shmir Alashan and not in, in Chavetz Chaim. Well, he's got 29 other Isurim, no? Pick one. <laughs> Eliana, what, what do you want to... Yeah. Because, like, the whole category of Marasan gets deleted if we create a world in which you don't know any facts about other people and you're not allowed to presume anything like that. I, I think that's a weakness of the Chavetz Chaim's worldview. But I'm wondering... Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to come up with the most expansive possible notions in some ways and also to come up with more complicated, with ways of complicating it. Um, so, I'm, right, so I'm trying to go beyond the models you're presenting um, and to see, I guess I'm at, at the end of the day, right, do you, gut feeling. Do you think that, do you think that the Chuzchayim could imagine a world, a world in which people talked about other people wholly neutrally and therefore it was fine? I think it's like a cause and effect issue. Do you mean halachically, or do you mean spiritually? Well, what would be wrong with it spiritually? Like, you know, what would he invent, right? If it's not if it's not halacha of lashon hara, or one of the twenty nine other restorim that violate when you speak lashon hara, uh, why? What what would be wrong about it? And if it's wrong, okay, you know, you'll tell me the hafsal I don't know, bittel Torah. I don't know, bittel Torah. <laughs> but, he, but he doesn't mind. I don't think the I don't think the chaim minds at all. If we spend all our time talking about manure, right? I like that story, right? Where the host time talks about manure for two hours on the train and then thanks the person because it's the first conversation you've been able to have with a human being, you know, uh, in a long time because normally talking to people is us, because they always talk about Lashanara, right? That, right. So aside from the Beatle Torah issue, right? I think the host time is fine with a world in which we spend nothing, right? All day, right? That's really interesting manure. Yeah, I remember the manure two years ago wasn't quite as, wasn't quite as good. That was John's manure. No, no, you can't talk about John. Right, right, right. I think you know, and we could talk about cows, right? We could spend our time talking about Holstein versus Jersey manure. No, but there's also a way that you could talk about people in a general way. Like, I think that's what the Chafetz Chaim would want. You could like talk about human psychology. You could talk about like history. You could talk about like maybe it would still be lush and hard to talk about groups, but maybe groups is not as bad as talking about individuals. Interesting. So you think he would not let you talk about individuals? I'm not even sure about no, that. No, I, I don't think he would. I mean, if he would let talk about groups, I mean, potentially, not probably, maybe not because of racism, like you said before, that could lead to racism. So, but yeah. I still groups, think I, maybe I think it's better to talk about than an individual. Yeah, but I, me personally, but I don't right, know. So I get that, but I'm, I'm just wondering. Yeah. It would be it would be interesting if because if right if we thought that what the Chavzheim was really about was that human beings shouldn't be interested in knowing things about other human beings unless they're good old. In which case, of course, you have a deep interest in knowing what, mm. in knowing about them, right? Because you want to be like them. But... So by the right, so, you know, like, to the extent that the Chazanish is, right, Chazanish is footwear, right? So it might be that I'd be allowed to say the Chazanish bought these sneakers if I were doing so, not because I wanted money, but because I wished you to become a better person by buying sneakers just like the Chazanish's. But I would not be allowed to say the Tanya Greengard bought these sneakers because no one has any, right? Because no one has any legitimate interest in knowing what sneakers Tanya right? Greengard wears. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you think about that in the end, right? Do you think that that's, or do you think that that's like, no, right? Why would it be wrong to talk about people if it wouldn't tell make people if it wouldn't make you think less of them? 
What do we think? I'm not sure what right now. Are you asking me what I think the Chavetz Chaim would think? Yeah. Do you think, are you asking me what I think the Chavetz Chaim would think or what I think? Let's start with what you think the Chavetz Chaim would think and then you can be cholik. If you wish. Meaning, uh, I mean, the, the Chavetz Chaim is an extreme in many ways, right? Meaning, you know, it, it may be that the Chavetz Chaim himself is driven by this idea that, you know, other people shouldn't be the content of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Meaning, or that's definitely how the Chavetz Chaim has been taken, right? Where like all the Chavetz Chaim foundation things are take an hour a day where you make sure to not talk about anybody else, right? Talk about anything but other people, right? Mm-hmm. Or how many conversations you have where you don't talk about other people, right? It's definitely probably, you know, a fair extrapolation of him. Um, at least individuals. Would even the Chavetz Chaim, right? Like, would the Chavetz Chaim oppose reading, you know, I don't know, a book of psychology and the studies that were taken in order to gain insights about humanity as a whole, right? I'm not even convinced that the Chavetz Chaim, I'm not convinced that even the Chavetz Chaim could oppose that, right? Like, could you not read, you know, thinking fast and slow because it is the, right, culmination of data that is collected about people so that you can understand the nature of humanity as a whole. I'm not sure the Chavetz Chaim, right? I don't think even the Chavetz Chaim would go that far, right? I agree with you. Because we should let you go to sleep, I'm going to ask one other question that we can spend the week pondering it and you can figure out how you want to, you want to address it next week. Do you think, what do you think the Chavetz Chaim's concept of friendship was? Uh-huh. How did one build a relationship with a friend? I mean, I don't know. Was he a Maimonidean Aristotelian that the only type of Chaver you want is a Chaver Ma'ala where you talk about um, look, there's <laughs> you know, there is a Ram at a particular yeshiva who Bishita makes sure that he never learns the name of his Chavrusa, right? So that their relationship will be only about Torah and he won't be tempted to know anything about his personal life because he doesn't even know his name. Um, you know, I don't know. Is that what, is that what the Chavar, right? imagines? Uh, maybe. If the person's speaking about the Chaim, is that, is that what you mean? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I guess I, does the Chaim see, does the Chaim see the value of understanding specific other people as they are? I think he would see it for the sake of society, which is like, it's funny because like this construct right. he set up is like, um, you know, like there's no chance of like talking about anybody because of the, the Hezekiria, but that also undermines the goals of society. So I feel like the Hilchot Shkenim then has to like supersede all of this stuff because of society weakens by nobody knowing facts about each other then like the whole notion of Russian horror is like not useful anymore. Interesting. I, I, what do you think of Rizari? I don't, I, I, I tend to agree with you. The Chavetz Chaim would not, right? Would not. I don't think he would, right? Meaning, right? And, and in a sense, it's because those are, you know, really understanding someone else often entails talking about people and not necessarily just yourselves, right? Meaning, right? 
Um, I mean, have, have you read the water cooler effect? I have not. Is that a Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell thing? No, it's Nicholas DeFonza. He's a, okay. he's a scholar of rumors at University of Rochester. Um, <laughs> it's uh, where he, he makes the claim, right, that the reason rumor, among other things, but one of the reasons that rumors are persistent is because talking about people is, is, is essential to the creation of a social fabric. Right, and therefore, rumors are a function of what it means to be human, right? And especially, it doesn't mean they're all good. But versions. what? Uh, there are feminist versions of it where specifically, you know, being right, specifically part of being a woman. I, I, I get that, you know, and I'm not so Talking sympathetic to that. People? I'm not so sympathetic to that. Um, but what I want to argue, I guess, what I'm trying to move for, right? What I'm trying to move is this notion that. I was coming back to that we should be discriminating about what sorts of data we think should be shared how, as opposed to trying to think whether data fits, whether whether data is relevant to these categories or not. Right? Whether does data fit into this category? Does data not fit into this category? Data fits into different categories. And one of the things we're thinking about is like, you know, what's the data that right? So I think I think I think that's true. Right, but right, but right. Right, but think about just like the intuition that people have that they're bothered when they find that like Facebook or Google uses their information, um, even though it's innocuous information, right? Look, even though in the end of the day, certain people might want targeted ads, right? They're bothered by the fact that they don't get paid for it, right? There's a new company that started, right, that wants that is totally wants the targeted ads, but wants you to be paid rather than Facebook, right? It's if you use their search engine, right? Their difference is that they will sell the information to the right to the relevant companies, but give you a cut, right? Because if there is information, right, and it is a commodity, if it's anybody's, it's yours. Right, and it's not that you have a problem with the information being shared. You want it to be shared. You'd rather get relevant ads than not relevant ads. But the fact that that someone else should do it is still offensive to them. That's interesting. Right. Right. So, right. That you know. Um, right. Or the fact that right. Meaning, and that's different than let's say Duck Duck Go. Right. Which. Mm-hmm. Right. Which uh, just um, yeah. offers yeah. completely. Right, right. This is one that says, no, no, no. We know you want to share your information, right? But it's yours, right? You have no problem sharing it, but someone else can't do that. That's really interesting. I have to think about that. And there's also like, let's say, telling a friend a story, like um, the example of like, if somebody did something bad to you, and then you want to tell your friend about that, or a psychologist, or somebody, then like, a lot of people do that and think that it's I think and think that it's justified because they're um you know like they're just talking about it for this purpose of like I don't know emotional support let's say mm-hmm. but then I think that actually I just thought of this idea that like maybe that also should have a limit possibly mm-hmm. because you know sometimes it could make you a person feel worse let's say they keep on talking of and like about how somebody did something bad to them. And then in the end, instead of it helping them, it's like the Lashon Hara of it just like made their soul feel worse. So I think like there's, there is just like 
yeah so that, i guess that's a potentially a window for allowing talking about other people like maybe for emotional support reasons like you could connect that to health and then another thing you could say is like yeah like legally i guess like if somebody did damage to you then you could tell somebody for legal reasons also other categories okay that's okay. a segue to, yeah. to next to, to look, next i i well. look i definitely think look i, I definitely think from the chavitz chaim is you know very very heated discussions of what you're allowed to tell your spouse right and the fact that he basically has no room for distinguishing between spouse and other people even though many other posts can do and the chavitz chaim you know really doesn't like it I think that Chavetz Chaim does express an extreme model in which he really doesn't value it, right? Meaning to say, but but I right, I don't think he's the majority there. Meaning I think personally, right, the fact that he thinks it's a totally plausible world that like, unless you can, you know, do actual direct, you know, damage control of something that happened to your spouse, your spouse can't share information with you right, does indicate that he really doesn't want talking about people to be part of a relationship to the detriment of the ability of, of developing friendships, right? Meaning if he's willing to say that in a spousal relationship, then Kalva Homer and any other, right? The fact that if you remember whatever it was 12 years ago, right, right, Jachter, like half his year was dedicated to this point was how do you push back on the Chavetz Chaim's conviction that spouses aren't different, right? Um, you know, pointing to sources like Yoma Ayin Hay, right? Of of Daga Belev Ish Yisichenel Acherem, right? That there's actually a this this idea that that it is positively, right, right, positively important to be able to talk about things that bother you. Right. And that your spouse is the right audience for that. Right. Right. Jaster was very insistent about this, if you remember. Right. I mean, at some level. Is that written somewhere? It is written. It's in one of the gray matters here. You can find out culture also, but it's in one of the gray matters. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think you're right. I think that was Chaim as a Chavetz Chaim himself probably was willing to empty friendship a lot of a lot of the normal components of friendship because he thought talking about other people was, you know, problematic, right? He's willing to risk um, real relationships, even when they're predicated on the sharing of information. Um, I don't think that's the majority view. Now, obviously, yeah, the data I was focusing on is all negative, right? But that's because of the Shaila that prompted the whole thing. Do I think that there are certain things, is it because you don't own it? I don't know, right? And that's where I give pause. Right. But um, on this point, I do feel like the Chavetz Chaim is not a consensus view. OK, we should let you go to sleep and we should go eat dinner. Thank you so much, as always. Always a joy um, to learn with you. I'm sorry we didn't get to see the kids this time. Um, and uh, give, I, I I, I'm glad they're sleeping. But, uh... And I assume Ora is asleep then also. So send regards there as well. And there's an article we written about, um, you know, the extension of after the friendship, which I think has not been done. And right, you're right. It might be another chapter chapter of what you're writing. The article on Kultura talks about close friendships. Are they talk about close friendships? I mean, that's the title. The title. <laughs> okay, I don't remember him talking about close friendships, but it doesn't surprise me that um, that he would. You know, but yeah, he right. Yeah, he did.
Did he even between close friends and spouses? Oh, okay. I don't remember the title. Interesting. Okay, Shkaya. Okay, so maybe we don't have another article to write today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Achrayuk Tuva, whether he included it in his piece. He had a piece, didn't he? He did have a piece in Achrayuk Tuva. Is that the one he put in? It's probably the one he put in, no? Let me look. One second. Um, yes, it is. Is Lashonara permitted between close friends and spouses? That's what it is. Right? So I, I don't remember the articles in my own book. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, always a joy. And we'll talk. I, I think doing toilet next week would be great because I don't think I'm going to do toilet anywhere. I think the lumber setup you, you have for it in the source sheet is, is cool. I hadn't thought of it that way, and I will look forward to it. If it works for you, you'll, you'll, we'll schedule during the week. Um, okay. And so what, I, you, I lost you for a second. So what do you want to do next week? I think to, I think your treatment toilet, the chapter before this in the source sheet is, is, is really cool. Okay. Um, oh yeah. So if you, if you look at right Jackster's thing, yeah, this is his, it's his development of Daga Balev in Chafetz Chaim versus Rav Sherlow. Yeah. Right. Remember that. Rav and Rav Schechter. And Rav Schechter. Okay. We'll look at it. I got to let them. And, and Sitzel Yeser. Oh, yeah. This is the expansion. This is Rav Sherlow's expansion of the Sitzel Yeser of our medical secretaries. Yes, yeah, on friendship. Okay, I didn't realize that was what he published in Akhraya Ketuvah, but yes. So that is that is his piece. Okay. Yes, Rav Koach. Yeah. Am I, am I muted? I'm not muted. Okay. I got to let him go eat dinner and you got to go to sleep. Okay. Always fun. Ever.